Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Um, Global Star Radio Network is our venue. Blog Talk Radio and YouTube Live. Catch all three. Catch us on all three platforms. You can watch us live on YouTube, and of course BTR and Global Star Radio. I want to thank Todd Global Star Radio for carrying our program. Thank you so much for all he does. And of course, um, our morning show, my morning show at nine o'clock Eastern. And Joe and John at two o'clock Eastern value added services, uh, additional coverage of the news information and things you need to know. I think they're going pretty well. The audience feedback is very positive. We're growing, uh, multiple, multiple countries looking at the metrics on the back end of, of, uh, everything. It looks like we're, uh, we're really hitting a lot of countries. Uh, yeah. you and, know what I uh, understand? How more people are listening to your show than mine and John's. It's got me scratching my head. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but know, it is it's the old man, I'm, right? I'm just kidding. No, no, you no, know, you're what? doing good, and it's, it's uh, uh, and the numbers well, are good. But one thing that's interesting with the blog talk uh, metrics is that you can it shows you where people listen to from which country, uh, which countries, and already on our show, which I'm sure is the same on yours, we have uh, South Africa, you know, the Netherlands, Europe, Canada, Mexico, yeah, uh, Australia. It's a uh, it's pretty interesting to see already that. Um, the number of countries that are listening it uh, gives you gives you a lot of hope yeah it does um it does now you know one of the the the, the biggest scandals oh tonight just so you know michael cutler ins uh, uh top of the top of the second hour for two segments or for one hour and then at the top of the third hour pastor david langford his usual wednesday appearance which is which is so great because we need that i i, I missed the, his appearance with uh, steve quayle yesterday and um my apologies for that. Was that yesterday or was that Monday? Day before. Day before. That's the days all seem to run together. It's it's uh yeah, Stan was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway. The the biggest scandal that that is really in embracing the country that um that, that that I've been addressing, and I know that you, you you kind of at the periphery touched on this, you and John. But the, the the biggest the biggest scandal is the infiltration by the Awan brothers, and people need to understand how deep this goes. And you know, I I, I reference it, and I, and I I guess sometimes you don't realize that other people don't know what you know. Okay, so. You just assume that there's like a level of knowledge there. It's it's you know you know what I'm talking about when you're talking to someone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, and it goes for you know just about any topic. Yeah, yeah. When this has been uh, our profession, you know, for the last six plus years, you gather a lot of knowledge, and a lot of times when, uh, as you just said, we begin to talk. Like everybody who's listening already is understanding of the knowledge that we have, and it. Well, and I say that with with respect to this one issue, uh, the Awan brothers, the four Awan brothers, and the two wives, and and the friends and others associated with the Awan brothers, working for the Democratic uh, House of Representatives, 
in the three high, very high uh, intelligence committee, foreign, uh, foreign, uh, uh, the uh, House Intelligence Committee, the Homeland Security Committee, and other committees. Uh, they, of course, uh, they, they, Wasserman Schultz and, and others, Jackie Spear, uh, requested clearance, top secret SCI clearance for them. But one thing that, uh, when Awan was arrested, we reported, of course, that he had wired $283,000 to Pakistan. Well, I just assumed that people knew that that, that was not the first time. Right. Okay. I, he's been doing that for years. Okay. So, I, 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 mean, you said I and I assumed that people knew all about, like, CARS International A, the CIA front, and uh, Nanoset Technologies, and the, the various companies that uh, that he owns. And you said yesterday, you know, he has family in Pakistan, and he's treated, what do you say, like a diplomat? Well, yeah, uh, when he's, he got goes there, he's got diplomatic. He's got ISI protection, yeah, and yeah, and um, yeah. he's pretty much treated like royalty. So well, there's something more, much more going on there than in my morning show. Um, and, and feel free to we should start a pool, okay? Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz suicide watch or shackle watch. I'm not sure which. I think she blocked me on Twitter, by the way. It's she's got time. time to block people on Twitter. All she's going through. <laughs> Well, you know, I said uh, actions have consequences, uh, and uh, I, I don't remember what else I wrote. But anyway, uh, nonetheless, the uh, the fact of the matter is, she is at the epicenter of this mess, and to, for her to keep keep Imran Awan on staff until what uh, Tuesday? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was, it was the day was that days he was ago. arrested. No, no, he was arrested on Monday, Monday night, a week ago, last Monday. And she might have cut him, cut him off that Tuesday, begrudgingly, but she kept him on as advisor. And then, of course, when she uh, threatened the Capitol Police, uh, the appropriate, uh, as he was giving uh, information testimony to the Appropriations Committee, and she threatened him with consequences, meaning that was more of a funding deal. But but having that was over the laptop that they found hidden in this alcove area, this crevice of the Rayburn office building that belonged to Imran Awan, that was, um, and I'm not exactly 100% sure if it was Imran Awan's laptop. And I, there's some confusion over this. Whether it was Imran Awan's laptop and Schultz wanted it back, or it was Schultz's laptop that Imran had possession of, but regardless, both had access to. And Imran Awan still, or at, uh, up until the, the, his arrest, had access to uh, all of her passwords. And, and there were some interesting emails that were referenced uh, in this in, in, in this. Uh, to show to show how long this has been going on, it's just crazy. But but this is a big story. It, it speaks to the uh, the Islamic infiltration. And speaking of the Islamic infiltration, the Pentagon just cut the uh, this this. Uh, it was a program called Malvi, annotated Malvi. That what they did, the military brought in refugees or. Uh, People from other countries, and they and they allowed these people from other countries to to sign up for the military, and the military trained them. And, and these these people from other countries had special skills, language skills, or whatever, supposedly. <laughs> and this was started under Obama. 
Well, the problem with that, there's about 10,000. And the problem with that is a lot of them, when I say a lot, enough to warrant concern are missing. They were, the military trained them, and they just kind of wandered away, kind of like a lost dog. Uh, not good at all. So there's, and, and the Pentagon's not talking about how many really and where they are or what the, what this disposition is. However, that program has been shut down. The door has been closed like right now. And according to the information that I've, I've seen, the, uh, their presence poses a threat to national security. This, according to members of uh, from the Pentagon, the members of the uh, also in the Congressional Oversight Committee, saying, "Hey, wait a minute, we have a problem with this." So this program, I don't know whether you saw that or not, kind of snuck underneath the radar, and uh, so for all you do-gooders, all, all you liberals out there who believe that, uh, hey, this is a good thing, we can bring in these people. We can vet them, and, and there was a problem vetting most of them, ten thousand, and and there was a problem vetting uh, most of those those recruits into the military. All branches of the military were affected. So, how in the world, if the military has a problem vetting ten thousand recruits over a seven-year period, eight-year period, really? How in the world? Can anyone expect refugees to be vetted properly? They can't. And then, of course, it was that, that heinous uh, crime by the refugee in uh, the Pacific Northwest who uh, just raped and beat an elderly woman. And, and we see this every single day. You open, you open the, the proverbial newspaper, the headlines scream out, uh, refugee beats, rapes. In America, so this is happening in America. We see what we see what's, what's happened in Europe with these refugees. And, and Michael Cutler yeah. is going to talk on this. Uh, I, the former INS guy. There was a, a crazy story out of Pakistan that I read. Um, you know, you talk about the culture of, of rape and sexual abuse. Uh, there was a, a Pakistani woman, the sister of a man who was accused of some kind of crime against uh, Sharia law. And instead of punishing the man for the crime, the tribunal ordered to the sister, his sister, be raped by the elders. And, you know, that was a very disturbing story. I believe that was um, Tuesday that I read that. And then you think and you see, you know, some of the crimes, the sexual crimes that are committed in, in the West by by immigrants from Germany to what Austin Brewer talked about it was happening in Greece. Uh, to the story you referenced, and we've seen numerous stories like that here in the U.S. Uh, there was a story when we went to Chicago uh, back in March or April where um, a man who was a refugee uh, raped a, a 70-plus-year-old woman on a high school track early in the morning and beat up uh, her friend almost to death who tried to interfere. We see the stories of, you know, what happens in Sweden and, and uh, Germany and Italy and all these other countries where the sexual abuse issue of the refugees is a huge 
um, a huge problem, even to the point where there are signs being put up in different places. I saw a story where uh, in a heavily Muslim uh, area of, of refugees, there was a community pool, and they had a sign up at the pool that said, you know, don't grope the girls in the pool. And this is in, in America, as you said. This is in this yeah, country. W- we need to put signs like that up. It's crazy to think about right. that. Right. That, that that needs to be said, but you know, how how can this be put to to an end? How can we stop this from continuing to happen? You, 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 you shut the flipping door. Right. That's it, man. Right. You, you shut the door. You say no more. And, and you know, all of these this eurocentric uh, this uh, eurocentric ideology is enough, enough, enough already, enough already. And we'll get into more of this with Michael yeah, Cutler. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting because today a, a guy confronted Nancy Pelosi. I don't know if you saw this or not. Gateway Pundits reporting on this guy. Uh, I, I don't, I don't even know where was this was. Was enough to know what was even going on? Yeah, she was kind of shaken by what this man said. What he did was this. Uh, this was in a, in, a, in a public venue. The man approached her and said, Nancy, or he said, Nancy, and she looked oh, yeah. over. And he said, uh, prison time is coming, be ready. And apparently Nancy Pelosi just was shaken by that, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any sympathy for Nancy Pelosi or, or anyone in Congress on the, on the receiving end of that statement. I really don't. Because prison time is long due many of these. Um, Wasserman Schultz, speaking of the Owen brothers, by the way, Wasserman Schultz, according to Fox News, is being, is under pressure to, to testify on XIT aid. So up the Xanax, uh, Debbie, up the Xanax, you're gonna have to, you know, uh, she's coming under mounting pressure to explain why she kept that aid, the IT, Imran Awan, on payroll for months after a criminal investigation revealed, was revealed, and, uh, she's facing calls from Republicans to testify. As well as uh, a newly filed ethics complaint, Republican Party Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel told uh, uh, Dana Loesch, uh, or Dana Loesch on Monday, if I had a staff member, an IT staff member, who had access to all of our data and all of our infrastructure and he had come under investigation, you better believe I would co- be cooperating. And she was a former, uh, what's your press secretary? Dana Loesch. She was part of the Bush administration. Anyway, we need to know how many uh, computers, computer systems were compromised. And this does, and, and, and I've received, again, this goes back to me saying, you just, you think people, you think you know, so you don't say things, you know, uh, like, for example, I had mentioned the, uh, the raid in South and Central Yemen, Donald Trump's first raid, which yeah. appeared to be compromised. They saw, they saw us coming. Or the Navy SEAL Right. Man. Well, the Awan brothers had access to that same information, Imran Awan specifically, back with Extortion 17. So you, it, you wonder, uh, you just, you just wonder how deep this goes. And of course, we're not talking just the infiltration, the computer systems and the, the procurement scam and the money. Uh, you're talking about, about Drugs, you're talking about human sex trafficking and human trafficking. And, and it's, it's, it's a bunch of, uh, baloney, really, to, to think that, that this is going on under the con, under the, our, our noses. And th- there needs to be a full investigation. As a matter of fact, we need to impanel a grand jury or a grand jury needs to be impaneled. And I would also say this, and I said this on my morning show, um, Robert Mueller needs to go. Mueller needs to go. 
There, there's yeah. uh, there's fact, story on the uh, Hagman report. Um, Twenty five USC forty five dot two of the uh, of the uh, uh, of our law says that if you have, for example, a uh, the, the qualification of, a, of an investigator or special counsel or independent counsel is if you have uh, you can't be a prosecutor and a witness at the same time. This according to, to uh, twenty five USC forty five point two from memory. And, and I talked about it this morning. You cannot be a witness and a prosecutor at the same time, and and this is what Mueller would be. And, of course, the five people that Mueller brought into the investigation, all loyal to Hillary Clinton or donors to the Clinton Foundation or donors to Hillary Clinton campaign well, or Hag- Bill Clinton. On Hagman Report, there's an article uh, about Mueller, something we've talked about in the past that Mueller is connected to. Mueller's role in delivering uranium to Russia raises questions. And, uh, this deal, this article goes into the WikiLeaks release by Julian Assange of uh, the cable to the Russian raises fresh, que- fresh questions about the objectivity of special counsel Robert Mueller, the man named to investigate any possible collusion between the president campaign of Trump and the Russian. Yeah. In 2009, Clinton directed FBI Director Mueller to deliver a sample of highly enriched uranium to Russia. The uranium had reportedly been stolen. It seems particularly odd, considering the FBI is not under the supervision of the State Department, that the FBI director would personally make the transfer. This is an article from the New American on the Hagman Report dealing with this whole issue, and it continues to go into great detail about um, the what you just brought up, the conflict of interest that uh, is there with Mueller and Comey and uh, his ties to Clinton, in a number of, of different ways, from her foundation to her role as Secretary of State, then there are, I don't know if you saw this, there are new WikiLeaks um, emails that oh, were released. Well, yeah, be, before you go on to that. That deal with Hillary, and, and uh, we can get into that when yeah, we're done with Mueller. Yeah, before you get, yeah, because Robert Mueller's, Mueller's role in the Clinton scheme to sell 20% of U.S. uranium to Russia, Uranium One, the special counsel uh, Mueller in the Clinton, uh, the Clinton Foundation criminal fixer is, Here's the deal. It was, it was May 17th of this year, the day Deputy uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein appointed FBI Director Robert Mueller as special counsel charged with the investigative uh, investigating possible Russian collusion. Uh, that Julian Assange released at WikiLeaks uh, or tweeted, I should say, the uh, a WikiLeaks released a State Department cable documenting that Hillary Clinton ordered Mueller to deliver a sample, like you just said. Think of the irony. Okay. Of that. Uh, the, the same day, and, and this. So, and Jerome Corsi spoke about this, and we've talked to Jerome Cor- Corsi both on and off air. But but Jerome Corsi spoke about this and wrote about this. So yeah, the same day, uh, Mueller was appointed. Uh, the uh, at Wiki at WikiLeaks tweeted uh, the released a State Department cable documenting that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton ordered Mueller to deliver a sample of stolen. HEU highly enriched uranium to Russia in 2009. And Assange's email signaled investigation is needed into Mueller and his complex involvement with Russia and Uranium One. And here we are uh, being told by the mainstream corporate puke media that it's no, it's it's Donald Trump collusion. And uh, it's the guy hired in the probe to uncover the collusion is the same guy who himself is neck deep in the Hillary Russia. Uh, collusion, hand delivering part of the uranium 
that I guess could be said as part of the same transaction of, as the uranium one years later. Just, I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up if you were Tom well, Clancy it, right now. No, no. And there's money. You gotta follow the money. Of course, Mueller's involvement in the Clinton's drive to profit from selling the 20% uranium of U.S. uranium to Vladimir Putin's Russian government, which is the, uh, oh, it ends up in the Russian government, the hands of the Russian government, should, should properly make him the target of a DOJ grand jury investigation and, and one should be convened to focus on Clinton's involvement with Uranium One, Frank Schustra from Canada, and, of course, Bill Clinton making a half a million dollars for giving a, a speech. And the complex, its the situation yeah. is complex. It's layered, layered through shell corporations. And on the Bill Clinton speeches, um, I think it was while she was Secretary of State, he received $6.3 million in total from foreign governments for giving speeches. Yeah, the, the, and there, there's no, I mean, that's well-earned money. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, boy, I'll tell you, could we do a lot with that? Uh, in terms of a lot of good stuff with, for that, but, uh, yeah. Um, this whole thing began back in 05. Um, the, uh, when you, when you look back at this, and, and I don't know, you, sometimes you need to look back and you need, you need to say, okay, how did this start? Well, Uranium One, it was a company created by Frank Schustra from Canada. In conjunction with Bill Clinton, in a deal, again that back that began back in '05. He's not the, the Chinese guy, Frank. No, no, no. Frank Schuster is a Canadian. Okay, so um, he decided, and and Schuster and Clinton decided to corner the uranium market in Kazakhstan, and ended up with the Clinton Foundation receiving five hundred thousand dollars to give a speech in Moscow. That's how that five hundred thousand dollars comes into play. Sometimes we just brush over these numbers and think everyone knows. Okay, so. With the speaking fee paid by Renaissance Capital, or RENCAP, which is based in Cyprus, uh, it's a Cyprus-registered uh, corporation controlled by former Russian intelligence officers with close ties to Putin. So think about that for a minute. Who in the world is profiting and benefiting from Russian collusion? It certainly is not Donald Trump. So liberals, get your heads out of your collective behind recesses there and, and look at this. And along the way... Clinton secretly, covertly established WJC LLC. Oh, isn't that cute? William Jefferson Clinton LLC. A limited liability company registered in Delaware using his initials as code, easily recognized by the Clinton family members as a shell corporation. And, and, and that's all that is. And, and that serves uh, that serves uh, Frank Schuster and others. They can make under the, under the table monetary uh, laundered the our contributions, they can launder cash through the Shell Corporation. So the WJC LLC is the vehicle that money was laundered, allegedly, ostensibly, uh, under the table. And uh, the stock payments to Clinton for services rendered while various Canadian enter- entrepreneurs made millions of dollars in mostly anonymous contributions shuffled to the Clinton Foundation in New York City via Clinton, via Clinton Justra Sustainable Growth Initiative, which is CGSGI in Canada, which is kind of the sister of WJC here in Delaware. Did you get, did you get all that? Did I explain? I, I went through that pretty quick. Juicer has a shell corporation. Clinton's got a shell corporation. Money goes back and forth. Everybody gets happy, but, but us. You and me. And one of the named, uh, con- one named con- uh, contribution involved Ian Teffler, who is a longtime associate 
of Justra, and who made a fortune as a gold investor while serving as chairman of the of Uranium One. He funneled $2.35 million to the Clinton Foundation starting in 2009 through the Canadian entity called Fernwood Foundation. Now, Jerome Corsi did a tremendously great and advanced investigative job on this. Uh, hats off to Jerome Corsi, man. He kicked butt on this. And Tefler made his contribution to a separate entity, the Clinton Justra Enterprise Partnership in Canada. But as was the case with CGSGI, the funds ended up in the Clinton Foundation in New York City. Oh, gee. Surprise, surprise. Then in 2010, October, Clinton, with the State Department being one of nine agencies on the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, that's the group that oversees foreign investments to make sure that there's no hanky-panky. It's an interagency committee operating out of the Treasury, allowed Rosatom to acquire the majority uh, control of Uranium One. That's how that happened, effectively giving Putin control of 20% of all U.S. uranium. And um, with Hillary Clinton allowing the State Department uh, as a CFIUS member, which, by the way, is uh, uh, the control the control mechanism uh, over the uh, dealings CFIUS. Uh, CIFUS, just to, just to be clear. In 2013, Rosatan was given permission to acquire all the remaining shares of Uranium One. So, when you look at this, uh, oh, with the result, nobody but Putin owned 20% of all U.S. uranium. So, how's that for a sweet deal? And everyone makes money. Vladimir Putin's got uranium, and the liberals are saying, hey, Donald Trump is colluding with the Russians. Well, you know what? Bite me. Okay? There it is. So, I'm going to start the Joe Hagman Foundation. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to sell access to your your book collection. Maybe some used wires of Eric's. Hey, <laughs> hands off my books. It seems like that's the way to go, right? Political foundations. Uh, I guess you have to have uh, name recognition as from a former, as a former uh, you know corrupt politician or insider like Clinton or Obama. Uh, the amount of money that these people rake in for doing absolutely nothing except backstabbing the American people, selling secrets of the government and access to our government for personal profits. Um, it is really disturbing to see what they're able to get away with, and their greed is uh, its just disgusting. Well, we're up against the, the break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into some interesting new information that has come out from Hillary Clinton's emails. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Hillary emails show she purposely avoided secure lines. New release from Judicial Watch uh, not only shows more pay-to-play mishandling of classified information and influence peddling, but Hillary and Huma complaining about using secured line of communications and how to circumvent them. We will be right back after these after this network break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Hagman Report. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced, Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Uh, before we get back into the news, I want to bring your attention to our website, HagmanReport.com. Folks, go there and, and check this out. There's a, a Eric's done a fantastic job of really redoing the site, uh, making it, it more um, user friendly and more accessible. Now, first on, on HagmanReport.com, right at the very top of the page there, you'll notice a, uh, a new banner where you see WND Superstore. Now, when we talk uh, about the World Night Daily Superstore, when we have guests on who are authors who are selling books, we would tell you to use the promo code HAGMAN when going to the uh, World Night Daily Superstore. Now, you click on the, the link in the at the top there in the banner, and it takes you directly to World Net Daily Superstore. And you said you still have to put the promo code in? Okay. As of right now, I guess you still have to put the put in promo code Hagman, but uh, soon enough there will be a, it, it will be set up so when you click the banner, that promo code will automatically be there. But for right now, anything you want to on the World Net Daily Superstore, make sure you do use the promo code Hagman from books to games to all kinds of stuff. Uh, preparedness, they got um, nine, twelve different categories here uh, of different things, including uh, 
one being the books from a number of the authors we have on. So again, folks, World Net Daily Superstore, right on the front top of the Hagman Report website. Click there, and you can uh, get all your World Net Daily needs uh, right there. Now, also, in the banners right underneath the uh, World Net Daily ad, you see the watch, the listen, the two new shows, and the graphic on the right-hand side, two new shows. Folks who've been listening to the show uh, hopefully already know, but the Doug Hagman Show airs uh, every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 10 a.m., and the Hagman Daily Show, 2 to 3 p.m., we are in our second week of broadcasts, and uh, Eric, if you, for those thanks, Eric, for those watching on YouTube, Eric just clicked on the the graphic there and shows you um, all the shows are there. Not only just the Doug Hagman Show and the Hagman Daily Show, but also Hagman Report. So all three can be accessed and listened to right from that listen button. And uh, we want to thank all the people for for checking out our individual shows and from the feedback we've been getting. Um, we see some of the metrics and see a number of people that are listening and have sent emails and, and thanking us and letting us know what they think about it. And it's really, uh, it's really great. The shows are going fantastic. Yeah. Our show. If uh, you don't mind, let, let, give us some feedback via email, studio at hagman and hagman.com. Give us feedback. Yeah. And like good, said, bad, or indifferent. Yep. If it's critical, we want to hear it. Yeah. If it's good, we want to hear it. If you, uh, listen to it and threw your computer out the window, well, we want to hear about it. So, or as I would do, put just put a forty-five slug right through it, and I've been known <laughs> to do that. I just ask Eric. All right, we're gonna yeah. Eric. Was, Eric is over carrying a piece of furniture in the studio, and this is a true story. Yep. He said, <laughs> "What's that hole?" And there's a slug rolling around in there, and it wasn't a negligent discharge either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you guys yeah. Knew. yeah. Well, you know what? Um, <laughs> it happens. Anyway, uh, special counsel. Wait a second. Special counsel. Mueller. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Well, same thing, right? He ordered, he, uh, hired his 16th, 16th Hillary Clinton lawyer. Well, not just Hillary Clinton, but, um, a Democratic lawyer to, to engage in the investigation, um, Greg Andrews is the 16th lawyer to be added to Mueller's uh, team. I mentioned the five in my daily show uh, earlier this morning, and then uh, he worked under Eric Fast and Fuhrer's Holder, as Andrews did from tw- uh, 2010 to 2012, of course. And he's a former U.S. Justice Department official. Of course, he's above reproach. All of them are above reproach. This is getting absolutely ridiculous. It, this is truly getting... These... um these people are doing nothing more, folks. Uh, Mueller is doing. Mueller, he, look, Mueller needs to be fired. He is in violation, as I had mentioned, 25 USC 45.2, um, the political and personal affiliations of uh, investigators and uh, counsel, and he's in violation of that. He's also in violation, well, ba- based on his relationship with Comey. He's got to go. He's got to resign, or somebody's got to fire him. Somebody's going to have to have the testosterone to say you're fired. And I'd like to see uh, Donald Trump do that as well. And just because we have, just because we have Donald Trump in the White House, does not does not give us the pass to clean up and, and to investigate what has gone on previous to this administration. We have an administration effective 
January 21st, 2017. We had a regime before that, one that still is in Washington, D.C., on Embassy Row, a house with a skiff, with Valerie Jarrett living there. What is wrong with that picture? Seriously. A shadow government is being operated from the Embassy Row, Obama's house, Obama, Michelle Obama, Michael, that is, and Valerie. Seriously? And no one is, no one's saying a word? Where in the hell is George W. Bush in this? Saying, hey, flag on the play. Where are our men of integrity? Where are our leaders of integrity? I'm seeing also Jeff Flake. What a flake that guy is. Senator Jeff Flake. Really? Book sales. That's what he, he's interested in. Book sales. But Flake is, you know, he's kind of leading the charge. Not really leading, but as part of the charge of the senators to turn their back on Donald Trump. Backs on Donald Trump. We, we've 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 devolved into a, a, a third world. What would you call it? Third world. Uh, uh, it's it's just it's, it's sewer. Yeah, the Washington. It, it's a swamp. And 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 Washington yeah. so different from. We talk about this a lot. How yep. different? Uh, yeah, take it away. People there are the politicians inside of D.C. Compared to the rest of the country, and we did a, a report, or we re, we reviewed a report that talked about the ten richest counties in the United States. Five of those being within the D.C. city uh, limit, and how these people are so disconnected from the everyday average hardworking American. It is just ridiculous. And you know, when we think about the sense of entitlement that many people believe Americans have, I think that really is. Um, you know, the entitlement mentality that is in Washington, D.C., as they continue to be the best spenders of everybody else's money um, and abusers of that privilege. Um, moving along here to a few pieces of news before Michael Cutler Go ahead joins and say us. Hillary Clinton again so I can interrupt Hillary you. Clinton. No, 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 no. Purposely no. avoided secure lines. Judicial Watch uh, filed uh, a FOIA request and received a total of 1,606 pages of documents from the State Department revealing repeated use of unsecured communications for classified information and numerous examples of Clinton Foundation donors receiving special favors from Hillary Clinton staff. The documents containing emails from the unsecured non-government account of Huma Abedin, Clinton's then Deputy Chief of Staff, also show Clinton or her staff expressing interest in visiting Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez and North Korean dictator Kim Jong uh, Il. The documents included 91 email exchanges not previously turned over to the State Department, bringing the total known to date to at least 530 emails that were not part of the 55,000 pages of emails that Clinton turned over to the State Department, further contradicting her claim that that's uh, she turned over everything she had. Well, so several of the emails not only contained classified information, there were a number of communications. Uh, between Clinton's State Department and the Clinton Foundation major donors and requests for favors and information that was all granted to the Clinton Foundation donors. Now, this uh, continues by stating that many of the emails show the State Department frustration using secure lines as they cause delays. 
there's a number of emails between Abedin and Clinton talking about how to circumvent the uh, the uh, secure government channels. And when they do use those channels, she talks about using uh, code words while using the, the government channels. And then that makes you wonder, when we look back at her emails and the Podesta emails, uh, were there codes, were, were they talking in codes when we talk about, you know, the Pedogate stuff? Obviously, some of that stuff was in codes, but this just goes to, to, to verify the claim that we know that there was communication, um, that was done in codes. One of the emails specifically, Hillary admits that after attempting to make calls over a secure channel, she just talked in code after being, being unable to connect over a secure line. Abedin tried to set up a secure call for Clinton with Dennis, last name unknown, but it didn't connect. And Clinton said, we now have tried twice to go secure and lost both calls. After Abedin tells her that she had tested the secure line, Clinton says, we finally gave up and talked in code, non-secure. And the article on the Gateway Pundit goes on from there, detailing much of the Judicial Watch's finding about findings about this latest email drop and there's a lot of charges in here the pay to play mishandling of classified information influence peddling cover-ups and uh, the article ends by saying these new emails show why the criminal investigation into clinton's conduct must be resumed by the trump justice department a very good article there again on the gateway pundit and on hagman report um, written by christina lalia now, there's another interesting piece of information and news that's going to really go unreported. This is from Zero Hedge talking about a newly unearthed CIA memo stating that the media are the principal villains. A FOIA request uh, by an investigative uh, muckrock contains shocking commentary on how the intelligence community views and interacts with the media. The 1984 series of internal memos, part of the CIA's recent Crest release, show over 900,000 declassified documents were drafted in response to a study on unauthorized leaks and disclosures written by legendary CIA officer Elos Page. Now, the, uh, the memos go on to talk about the media in a number of different ways. Most startling sections from the memos, all marked secret, reveal how the CIA views the First Amendment and journalistic freedoms. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and the power of the media to publish in this country is nearly absolute. And this is uh, an article in Zero Head says, ironically enough of these are actual words coming out of the CIA applied not to itself, even though it's a secretive spy agency frequently operating above and outside of the law, Citing examples of scandals from Iran-Contra, COINTELPRO, Operation Mockingbird, Church Committee findings, just as a few examples. But this uh, memo further details the CIA and how they view the media being an enemy, almost comparing it to foreign espionage, saying we can cite parallel methods and parcels and results, if not in motivations between the media's attempts to penetrate us and our opposition's attempts to do the same. Folks, the article on Hagman Report, which is linked from Zero Hedge, goes to detail a number of other uh, startling admissions in the CIA memo and how it talks about uh, not only uh, subverting the media, but 
what they've done with people like Anderson Cooper and others is grab people who are in the CIA and put them directly in the media in order to to share fake stories and and uh, not only have control of the media but the ability to influence the American public and politics. It's very um it's very convoluted but it's also very clear cut on what the CIA's agenda is here and how um they want to basically uh, neuter the journalist and want to be not only themselves clear from any wrongdoing or exposure of wrongdoing but how they want their uh, circles of influence from politics and top members of society and and media and uh, the economy to be shielded okay from much and, of what and, and this yeah and and journalists used to do which is be investigative journalists exposing corruption and crime at one point long long ago now now this is one thing that we have to understand and i think people really need to understand this we asked peter choka to come on last night i talked about it in my show this morning uh and you had to read between the lines in some portions of my program this morning and that that was deliberate because there there will be things coming out and trust me when i tell you this there will be information coming out that will provide a better understanding of who's really in charge in the media and um or who of the media who's in charge of the media and who the good guys are in the media and who the bad guys are and we you know it's obvious 93% uh CNN and NBC are tied at 93% a Harvard Kennedy School did a survey, and I, I mentioned again, I, I'm referencing my program this morning. Uh, Harvard Kennedy School did a, did a uh, survey between January and April of this year of how many times Donald Trump was mentioned, what the, the context, and if it was negative, positive, or neutral. CNN and NBC are tied at 93% negative in terms of any mention of Donald Trump, it was within a negative context. Okay, then of course, it went down from there uh to Fox News at fifty two percent now think about this for a moment their their Fox News fair and balanced that's their their mantra okay, now put aside for a moment all of the other networks that that I just referenced put aside c n n nbc c b s all of that put aside the print media, set them aside. Look at Fox News, solely Fox News as a as a single entity. Now, and I have to be very careful here with what I'm saying. Go back and listen to what Peter Choka said last night, or tune in this morning, uh, and listen to the Daily Show shows. We both played this unknowingly. We, we both played the same clip uh, from Sarah. Huckabee Sanders yesterday. Yeah, we did. Um, where she laid out the real, uh, what would you call it, the real scandals, the criminality. But here's... Yeah, she exposed the media for the, the, the crap, the, the right. Russian narrative that they were right. pushing, and then ex- and then explained how uh, what they were ignoring, which is the collusion between Russia and the Hillary Clinton campaign from the Uranium One to Bill Clinton. That's right. And it was very precise, and she did a great job. Uh but if you and and this is something that I don't I, I'm not sure how many people caught this, but if you tune in to uh, 
Sean Hannity's show on Fox News uh, Thursday, Friday, and Monday. Just take that sampling if you have that availability. And listen to his opening monologue. And you can even go back further, but those those opening monologues kind of hit the hit the primary points. Take that text and compare it to what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said to the media. Take his opening monologue from Thursday. I'll even say Wednesday of last week, Thursday and Friday. And take that and compare his opening monologue text to what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said on Tuesday, yesterday. I I didn't really make that clear, I don't think, in, in, in my show. However, what does that mean? Well, you have Donald Trump meeting with Bill Shine and Sean Hannity at a dinner meeting. That dinner meeting, news of the dinner meeting was leaked. That resulted in Scaramucci's resignation or ouster because Scaramucci had a conversation with a reporter and used some pretty harsh language and expletives about that whole situation, about the leak and how how'd you get that information. The reason I brought all of that up, it seems like, well, th- these are different situations. And why did you mention that? It seems like it's, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Sean Hannity were on the same page. Donald Trump is listening to Sean Hannity. I can guarantee you that and Bill Sean, but specifically Sean Hannity. And I can t- I can tell you another thing. Um, Peter Chauka has a good relationship with Sean Hannity, and what is taking place at Fox News is reflective of the deep state deep state tactic at getting at the people within Donald Trump's inner circle and then get going after Donald Trump. Remember what they did to Flynn. This is this is the same template. They're going after Sean Hannity in the capacity now, not as a t- television broadcaster necessarily, but as a close colleague or at least someone close to the President of the United States. It's disturbing on many levels. Now, should, um, and, and I've given this a lot of thought, well, what if, for example, this was Chris Matthews and instead of Sean Hannity, and what if this was Obama instead of Donald Trump? Would I have that same reaction? Probably not. And to be honest, no, I, I probably no, wouldn't. No. But you don't have the piling on. You, you, there, would, there, there was no 93%. And 87 and 73 and so on, negative reporting on the president. And there was no shadow government against Donald Trump or against uh, President uh, no. or against Obama, I should I think say. about it like this. All the fake scandals that they are trying to, to correct create yep. to smear Donald Trump are just that. They're, they're fake and made up. Where when we had Obama, we had uh, every year of his presidency a major uh, impeachable scandal that he was involved in that exactly. never got covered. Exactly. So I just want to, 
the only here's my only message about this. When you see, and you're going to be seeing conservatives, self-proclaimed, well-known conservatives, beat on members of the conservative media, in particular Sean Hannity. And I and I, I say that because Sean Hannity is like the last speed bump on the road. Uh, he's the last blockade. Tucker Carlson perhaps is in that is in that maybe he's a smaller speed bump. But if you take away Sean Hannity, that fifty two percent is going to be much more like eighty five percent up there with NBC, CBS, and other networks. And there goes any any possibility of a free corporate media, even the last bastion of that corporate media. And when that when that stop gap is taken away, guess who they're coming for next? And they already are coming for us. They're already going for Alex Jones. Regardless of what you think of the man, they're already going after Infowars. They're already going after the larger alternative or new media platforms. And believe me, they're coming after us. And that's why we need your prayers and we need your support. We need you to spread the word about this program everywhere. And that is not hyperbole. That's I'm not overstating the fact. I'm just stating the facts. That's how this all kind of fits together. And you may not be interested in hearing about that, but see, once that goes, then your opinion, your right to speak, your right to post on Facebook, your right to uh, post on your blog, your website, will be next. We need to get together. We need to stop this. And, and that, that's why I, I don't suffer fools well. And by saying suffering fools, of course, the, you know, uh, decade and a half, uh, BS suggestive allegations of impropriety by Sean Hannity by some irrelevant, you know, Michigan attorney, in my view, in my view, personal, this is my personal opinion. Yeah, my the service of process, legal process addresses on my website. So, if you feel if you feel froggy, go ahead and jump. I'll just add that one to the list. I might I might join up on that because one. because I'm gonna tell you what, I'm in this to stay. I'm in this fight to stay. We are in this fight to stay. In case you haven't noticed, join us, will you? Stick stick with us, will you, please? If you can't support us, pray for us. Yep. If you can't support us, talk about our program. Spread it, spread the news of the program around. Maybe someone else can support us. But you know what? We are in this to stay. And we will prevail. In the end, as the Bible says, at least biblically, we will prevail. Hey. You know what? The effort's up to us. The results are up to God. That's right. So. We got about a minute before the break. I just stumbled across this article. Thought it was a joke at first. Um, Outback Steakhouse, a sinister satanic cult. You're gonna hear this. this I knew it. Good. I knew it. Okay. Now you better be okay, very careful. This article careful. is from the be... Daily Caller. Okay. Right. And folks, I would urge people to search it out. Eric, sorry I didn't get this to you because the pictures are important here. Okay. So Outback Steakhouse has responded to a social media theory. 
that its restaurants are strategically clustered in America's vast suburban wastelands to form pentagram patterns on maps. Uh, you know, okay, now know it sounds silly, right? That. Yeah, it does sound silly. So it does. a bunch really of people, uh, the theory, Outback Steakhouse locates its restaurants in formations which roughly replicate the five-sided star inside the cult-related uh, sigil of Baphomet insignia appears to have sprung up on Twitter last week. So in 16 different locations across the country, they people have taken to Twitter and mapped out Outback Steakhouses in certain areas. In 16 of these uh, areas, from Cincinnati to Atlanta uh, to Washington, D.C., Virginia, these uh, if you draw the lines from where these Outback Steakhouses are to each other, they all... There you go, Eric. Thank you. Wow, all Eric's show good. As stars. So people are taking to Twitter and saying this is a satanic conspiracy. I find it very interesting. Maybe they are stars for for different reasons. Who knows? Um, but pretty I, I funny. Know. I just I saw the headline know. while you were talking uh, there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of that. No, I no, really but don't. I, I think it's interesting and um, wow. Definitely uh, something to leave you scratching your head. Michael Cutler is going to be our guest. Can't wait. When we return from the break, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable, it's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces, it's durable, it's EMP proof, and it's environmentally friendly, yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available, anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. A Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. We are live. Our guest, Michael Cutler. MichaelCutler.net. A former INS agent, a resume that would just make your socks go up and down, curl your hair, uh, make your ears flop. It's great. I mean, this guy is a real deal. Uh, his, uh, he's impeccable credentials. Uh, the new, he's just got a new piece out at Newsmax, right? Okay. All right. Yeah, he does. And, uh, uh I got. Magazine and, and, and capsweb.org actually. I think my latest is capsweb.org or, or it might be Newsmax. We've got two of them just came out. Okay. <clears throat> well, you're always on point. And, and here's where I'd like to start. Um, sure. I, I, okay. News just came out today, which I just found incredible. A program that began in 2009, uh, the acronym of which is MALVI, M-A-L-V-I, uh, bringing in, uh, uh, legal, uh, non, Resident immigrants into the military, all branches of the military. Now all of a sudden, up to ten thousand, I guess. Now all of a sudden, yep. we have to stop the program because, well, we're not sure where some of them are. We don't exactly know the number of some, you know, how, how many. But things are kind of went sideways with that program. Predictably, <sighs> predictably, you know, I, I just wrote an article about it. In fact, the front page mag dot com. I'm hopeful that it will be out. At midnight tonight, we'll have to see. <clears throat> but l- let's put this in context. Let's first of all start with one fundamental premise. And by the way, I want to thank you not only for having me on, but for addressing the issues that the mainstream media refuses to discuss. And this isn't about left or right. You know, I've been registered as a Democrat. I've always voted as an independent. But first and foremost, we're Americans. And we've gotten away from the notion of what it is to be an American. We finally have a president who is a populist, who says, let's look out for America and Americans, and look at the reaction on Capitol Hill. Look at the reaction in the media. I think a big part of what has them twisting in the wind is that they are not used to having a president who's not a globalist. We have become a nation run by globalists who don't put Americans first. And, you know, it's funny because the president wound up saying something during his inaugural address and I know I've been speaking with some people within the administration, <clears throat> so I suspect that maybe it influenced the speechwriter. But I said, wouldn't it be wonderful? And I said this several years ago. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a president, to have politicians, who the way we say a pledge of allegiance to our flag and to the republic for which it stands, if we had a president who said a pledge of allegiance to the American people, if we had politicians who would say a pledge to the American people, to their constituents. And that's exactly what we've had, and I don't agree with everything that President Trump has said. I don't always agree with his choice of language. I think sometimes he should be using more nuanced language. But what's fundamental behind all that I have seen, and I've been at this for a very long time. I started working for the INS in 1971. 
uh, is we have a president who says, look, our borders are our first and last line of defense. Our immigration laws aren't racist or unfair. They're supposed to protect American lives and the jobs of American workers. And in fact, we'll get to it later, but today he also talked about legislation that would fundamentally change immigration uh, and the way we uh, look at immigration going back at least a half century. And it's changes that I completely agree with. And so aliens, to begin with, do not have an inherent right to enter the United States. Let's be crystal clear. American citizens under immigration law may never, ever, under any circumstances, for whatever possible reason, cannot be denied entry into the United States. Period. It's ironclad. It's bulletproof. There's no exception. In fact, when I began my career with the INS, I started out as an immigration inspector assigned to John F. Kennedy International Airport here in New York. And at the academy, I went to Border Patrol Academy, as did all INS enforcement personnel. They made it clear that aliens are inspected, citizens are examined. Now, it may sound like semantics, but it's not. Because the idea is that when a person presents himself or herself to that inspector at a port of entry, whether it's at an international airport, at a seaport, at one of our land border crossings, the inspector makes a determination whether or not that person is a citizen, if that person claims to be a citizen. If the inspector is convinced that that person is, in fact, the United States citizen, the inspection ends, and now it's an examination of documents, because you cannot deny a citizen entry, period. Now, you may hold that person because they're wanted by the FBI or DEA, or by local police. That does happen. As an inspector, we held many people for other law enforcement. But you have absolutely no authority to put that out, that person back on an airplane because that person's an American. Aliens, on the other hand, do not have an inherent right to enter the United States. And this is an issue that the globalists are trying to confound by the use of artful, deceptive language. It's not about political correctness. It's Orwellian. It's newspeak. And that's what we've seen with the Supreme Court. They keep coming back to it. They're talking about how, well, if an alien comes here and they're from one of those countries that is on that list of six countries who have an affiliation or there are concerns about terrorism or a lack of a vetting process, um, well, as long as that person has a relationship with other people or entities in the United States, this is the Supreme Court, then the president can't bar that person from entering the United States. Does it even make a distinction about citizens? But that's beside the point, because what the media has done when they talk about the president's executive order is to call it a travel ban, and they focus on the fact that the citizens involved are from Muslim-majority countries. This is a lie. This is part of the propaganda machinery that we are being subjected to 24-7 by the mainstream media and by so-called conservative stations as well. <clears throat> if only they would provide the actual name of the executive order. I don't have it in front of me. I, I have notes, but I, I'd rather just talk to you and not dig through notes. But basically, the name of the executive order, and I may get one or two words wrong, but not the meaning wrong, protecting America from the entry of foreign terrorists. That's the, in a nutshell, what the executive order says. It was promulgated. It was issued to prevent the entry of terrorists into the United States, protect the United States. If you use that official title, the arguments all 
go away. When you call it a travel ban, it's a very different story. And so we keep on looking for ways to provide aliens with opportunities to stay in the United States. The punchline to every joke today is, so they stayed in the United States. So we gave them green cards. So we made them American citizens. I don't care what the problem is. As long as we're giving aliens access to America and lawful status, then it's the right narrative. This is lunacy. It's madness. And so in the name of this, there's this program, Malvi, which is supposed to bring into the military non-immigrant aliens who have abilities, talents, experience, whatever, of great necessity for our military. And if you read the article about this program, you find out that not all of those supposed necessary people were necessary. It's not only translators. It's not only people with a working knowledge of the terrain and all these other things you would expect for the military. They've included, excuse me, truck drivers and cooks and dishwashers. So in this massive program, whereby we allowed 10,000 foreign nationals access to our military bases, access to training, to our playbook, in exchange for expedited pathway to citizenship, we now come to find out that some of these folks disappeared. And the military won't tell us how many, won't tell us what countries they're from, only that some of them, is it two, is it 200, is it 2,000, nobody's talking, have gone missing. Now, let's put that in perspective. And, and this is a very important point that, again, gets lost. On September 11, 2001, 19 young terrorists, many barely out of their teens, inflicted more casualties on America than did the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. We don't have to be wrong in too many cases to wreak havoc on our country and to get lots of Americans killed. This is a dangerous era. We are in the middle of a war. And if you don't think we're in the middle of a war, explain to me why, in goodness gracious, have so many young men and women previously wounded in combat or have come home in caskets if we're not at war. How can you deny the situation we find ourselves in? So this brilliant program, and no doubt it's an essential program if it was properly administered, but if is a very big word. If, my father used to tell me, was the biggest, shortest word in the English language. There's a wonderful Yiddish expression that I'll clean it up for you. If my grandmother had different genitalia, she would have been my grandfather. So when we hear if, this was a great idea, but those buts can get us killed. Now, here's the crazy thing, and this is what I wrote about in my article for Front Page Magazine that I hope will be published this evening. While this is going on, a bill known as the Enlist Act, H.R. 60, would allow illegal aliens who snuck into the country. Remember, these aliens under Malvi were admitted into the United States illegally. Supposedly, we knew who they were because we admitted them or they might have gotten temporary protected status, and that's a story for another day about illegal aliens. But the point is, under the Enlist Act, we would give illegal aliens, thousands of them, a pathway to a green card or citizenship if they would enlist in the military. And you have over 200 members of Congress from both sides of the aisle who have co-sponsored this crazy legislation. Here's what's wrong with it. The same thing that's wrong with Malvi. If you cannot adequately vet these people, you are providing them with access to some of our most 
uh, sensitive critical infrastructure in the universe. Military bases have our members of the armed forces. We've seen insider attacks, many insider attacks all over the Middle East. These pieces of trash join the military, join the militias, join law enforcement. I want to fight the bad guys. Right. They get the training, and then when they have an opportune moment, they turn their weapons on their instructors and on their fellow soldiers, fellow law enforcement officers, insider attacks. Carnage beyond belief. We saw Fort Hood carried out by Hassan. He was born in America, but he did it in the name of radical Islam. So think about the madness. We're going to take people, put them on military bases, give them lawful status, even though they came illegally, put them on a path to citizenship. We know that gang members have joined the military. There's been a succession of reports about this. The FBI, the gang task force, thousands and thousands of gang members joined the military, and we're going to talk a little bit about MS-13 today, I presume. And by joining the military, they get the finest military training in the world. You have terrorists traveling all over the world to go to terror training camps to learn how to shoot, uh, learn tactics, physical fitness, whatever. The training you get on a U.S. military base um, it, it goes beyond head and shoulders above anything anyone else provides. Basically, uh, it's about learning how to use the best weapons in the world and have the latest tactics in the world. It's America's playbook. You never hear anyone talking about this. You, you know, Mr. Cutler, I, I gotta tell you, you don't hear anyone talking about this. Thank you for mentioning this. By the way, that's a, the HR 60, uh, is an amend, yep. uh, amending title 10 of the U.S. Code to authorize uh, I mean, it, th- th- these people here are where literally. Where am I getting this form? Tell me, where am I being unreasonable? You're not. I mean, this 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 is 100 percent accurate. Um, I, I it it just blows my mind that that no one else is talking about this. And thank you for being this beacon of of information out there because the information you've got firsthand knowledge, man. Uh, keep going, sir. I, I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's okay. You know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, I may have mentioned this on your last show, I don't recall, because I don't work with a script. This is live and in person, and here I am. I love um, it. We, we worked, I worked with New York City Police, uh, ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and what was then Naval Intelligence, now it's NCIS, because we had a bunch of illegal aliens, primarily from the Caribbean, Panama, you know, Jamaica, Trinidad, St. Lucia, join the, the Marine Corps. The recruiters were having a problem meeting their quotas, and some of these recruiters were providing fake ID to these people that wanted to enlist. And once they got weapons training, once they got tactical training, some of these individuals left the military, went AWOL, stole weapons out of the armory, and were pulling off deadly commando-style bank robberies all over the New York City area. I was working with those other agencies, and we were literally following a trail of blood, late 70s, early 80s. So this isn't a hypothetical concern. If you want to learn how to fly, you go to a, a, a flight school. If you want to learn how to shoot, you join the military. So you're providing information, tactical training, weapons training, the best in the world to people whose identities can't be verified. And by the way, under immigration law, actually under federal law, Title 18, United States Code, Section 922G5, if we're going to be specific, an alien found in possession of ammunition, if that alien is here illegally, or an alien illegally present found in possession of a firearm, is facing, I believe the penalty is now 10 years in jail. So why on earth 
would you be so fixated on putting foreign people into the military when you know you can't properly vet them? See, these are self-inflicted wounds. And yet, it's not being covered that way in the media. If you dare say what I'm saying, you're branded as anti-immigrant, that's another trick of the media. You know, when I was an inspector at the airport, I did prevent the entry of aliens into the United States. They came with altered passports, altered visas. It turned out that we had, the, we found that they had criminal convictions in other countries. Uh, there were a bunch of reasons. They didn't have the wherewithal to be here as tourists. So it was obvious they were coming to work illegally. We turned them around. Two points to be made. When President Trump initially enacted his first executive order, roughly 200 aliens were denied entry at airports around the United States. The ACLU had a cow. They launched their lawyers at the government. They call it lawfare. That's the term the ACL uses, lawfare. And they said, we're going to sue, and there were demonstrations, and there were riots, and the media said, oh, my God, these people had valid visas, and they got on those airplanes in good faith. And this miserable president, who does he think he is, wouldn't let them in. Well, <laughs> that's just another day along the border. In 2013, according to official government reports, now think about this, approximately, hold on to your seat, 200,000 aliens were denied entry at ports of entry. Many of them had been issued visas. A visa is not a guarantee of entry. A visa only gets you in to see the inspector if you are from a country that does not participate in the visa waiver program, or if you're coming here for reasons other than tourism. That visa is not a guarantee. But yet when President Trump said we're not going to let them in, the media portrayed it as these people were guaranteed entry and he stopped them. No, the inspectors still had to make that determination. And if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it gives you the grounds for excluding an alien. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Aliens who are severely mentally ill. Aliens who are criminals, who are gang members, who are involved with terrorism, drug trafficking, human trafficking, fugitives from justice, spies. Okay, they're all excludable, as are aliens who, if they work, would displace Americans or would likely to become a public charge because they don't have the obvious wherewithal to remain in the United States for whatever period of time they were seeking to enter. Nothing about race, nothing about religion, nothing about ethnicity. So the, if you properly provide background to the stories, if you give it context, the story becomes very different. The headlines blared now that the Supreme Court acted and agreed with that judge in Hawaii Derek Watson, grandparents will be reunited with their grandchildren, as though that was the thrust of the President's Act. He was going to separate grandparents from their grandchildren. If you look at what the Supreme Court said, they said the President has no right to deny aliens entry into the United States if they have a relationship with people in the country, with companies that have given them a job, with schools where they've been attending classes, or with people who brought them here to provide a speech. In other words, just about no one could be kept out. And what was the purpose of the executive order? Was it to keep grandparents from their grandchildren? No. Go back to the title. Protecting the United States by preventing the entry of terrorists into the United States. But if they use the official title, then there's no argument to be made. 
So this is about lying through their teeth and creating a false impression. And so you wonder when people complain about the president, do they really know what in the world they're complaining about? Because a very unfair and mis, uh, misleading, goes beyond misleading, lies have been substituted for the truth. You know, agents and journalists are supposed to be fact finders. My job as an agent was to develop the facts, uncover the facts. My ultimate goal was an indictment, an arrest, perhaps a deportation of an alien. The journalist's purpose is supposed to be to provide a story in accordance with the First Amendment. Without the truth, without the knowledge, Americans can't make proper decisions in the voting booth or elsewhere. So this really goes to the heart of what our democracy is about. If you haven't read 1984, read it. Uh, if you have read it, reread it, because this is Orwellian. So you've got a problem with gangs. You have the president going out to Long Island where Jeff Sessions recently uh, went. There was a hearing on the island because MS-13 has become a huge problem. I began investigating MS-13 back in the early 90s, 25 years ago. It was a very small problem back then. They were violent. They were vicious. There were very few of them. wasn't a big deal. But when we had that surge of unaccompanied minors coming across the border under the Obama administration, among those so-called teenagers with thousands of gang members. It is now estimated that at least 40 states, four zero states, are infected by this virulent, pernicious, violent gang. Chuck Grassley, Senator Grassley, and I did my last hearing for Senator Grassley a couple of years ago over at the Senate Judiciary Committee, talked about just how dangerous this gang is, and he made the point, I believe it was Grassley, who said that some would call them a terrorist group. Their motto is kill, rape, control. They are recruiting eight-year-old children in public schools. And the demonstrators came out when the president went to Long Island. Oh, you're not going to separate our families. You have no right to arrest these undocumented people. They're not undocumented. They're here illegally. They evaded the inspections process at ports of entry, which is a vetting process. We spend over $14 billion a year on Customs and Border Protection. They have two primary missions. The Border Patrol is supposed to interdict those who would not go through a port of entry, sneak into the country, enter covertly, and the inspectors at ports of entry who apply the immigration laws, as I just described, to make certain that we do whatever we can to keep out the criminals, the terrorists, and people who would likely displace Americans at work. And, Michael, so, if, I, if I can jump in real quick. I just want to let you know what you're doing by giving me this opportunity to speak to your audience is, is so important because tell me where you've heard this information in the mainstream media before. Well, you, you don't really hear it. Now, uh, the reason I wanted to, to jump in, uh, two reasons. One, we're going to skip the the break that we have in a few minutes so we can continue to flow right to the end of the hour. But you just made the distinction about uh, what is called an undocumented um, person versus an illegal alien. I saw on, I believe it was MSNBC, just a few days ago, they were having this argument. They had a uh, a commentator come on, and he used the word illegal alien, and the panel, you know, all uh, stopped him. Yeah, they, they did. They had They were triggered. And they said, you know, we don't use the word illegal alien here. We're There's changing no the language. such thing. We call them undocumented, pure, und, und, undocumented persons. And they, they basically shamed the guy for using the term illegal, uh, illegal immigrant like it was some sort of, uh, racist slur, uh, right, towards see, the it's, population. It's the equivalent of the N-word. So, so here's the point. 
the term alien, this started with Jimmy Carter. I'm writing a major article for the social contract about where we've gone with our journalism, with our language. Make no mistake, tyranny starts by language control. Yep. Language control, that's why I said read Orwell. If you want to control thoughts, you control language, okay? That's the point. Jimmy Carter mandated that we no longer refer to illegal aliens as being illegal aliens. We had to call them undocumented workers, and then they said undocumented immigrants. So understand the problem. The term alien has a specific meaning. When you go to any body of law, whether it's drug law, firearms law, they have to define what a narcotic is. They have to define what a firearm is. How can you arrest somebody for unlawful possession of a firearm if you don't explain what a firearm is, right? How do you charge someone possession of a dangerous drug if you don't explain what a dangerous drug is? So every set of laws, and people that aren't in law enforcement may not realize it, starts out with definitions. And when I went to Border Patrol Academy, they would drill you so that you could spit out definitions faster than your own name on command. And if your punctuation was off, you got zero credit for the answer. That's how they drilled it into your head. Okay? Alien is the definition. I, I hope I don't offend anybody. Get the little kids out of the room because the, the walls are about to melt. An alien is any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. That's the whole definition. Please tell me where the insult is. It doesn't say someone who's ugly, smells bad, stupid, immoral. No. Any person, not a citizen or national. When we as Americans, unless we're dual nationals, we travel to Canada, we travel to Mexico, we travel to Europe, we become aliens. It's not a pejorative, it's a statement of reality. It's accepted language under international law. The problem with the word alien is that it draws a clear distinction. Con artists don't want to make clear distinctions. Burglars generally do their skullduggery in the dead of night. <clears throat> Magicians confound the audience. They bring in some very pretty girl in a little skimpy getup, and she's prancing all over the stage, and there's dramatic music and dramatic lighting, and the machine with the smoke is going full tilt, and you don't know where to look, and he's waving his hands around, and you lose track of his left hand, and while you're watching the right hand, the left hand does the dirty work. That's what they're doing with language. If you eliminate the word alien from the conversation, then people say, well, why aren't we letting these quote-unquote people in? They say they entered undocumented. Is that a verb? No. It's make-believe words. You enter without inspection as an agent. If I was sitting at my desk and I made an arrest and my boss is walking by, not uncommon, and I'm in the squad area and I'm banging away on a typewriter in the good old days, filling out paperwork, I got a guy sitting in front of me in handcuffs, my boss walks up to me, hey Mike, what you got? Oh, I got an EWI from El Salvador. E-W-I, EWI, you know what that means? Entrant without inspection. He snuck in. He entered surreptitiously. Chuck Schumer loves to get in front of TV cameras. Chuck Schumer said that because we had all these people trespassing on landmarks and critical infrastructure, 16-year-old kid climbed the World Trade Center when it was under construction. He said, this is dangerous. When people trespass on landmarks or critical infrastructure, this should be a federal crime with a five-year felony. He even cited that 16-year-old airheaded kid who climbed the Trade Center. He would put that 16-year-old boy in a jail cell for five whole years because he trespassed. However, 
if that little boy was an illegal alien who trespassed on our border in the dead of night, then Chuck Schumer would say, whoa, that kid needs to be made a citizen. That's the hypocrisy. Let me show you how crazy this is. Let's say I don't like the words burglar or trespasser. Those are nasty words. I arbitrarily decide, let's get rid of those words henceforth. I'm going to forbid you from using the words. And by the way, they are forbidding people from using language. The Associated Press has a style book. When I went to college, my degree was communications, arts, and sciences. We had a style book. It told you how to use footnotes. It told you how to punctuate, when you should capitalize, when you should use quotation marks, when you should use a semicolon or just a colon. That was the style book. The style book today is a breathing, living entity where they even offer online a program that will automatically fix your errors when you write a report. If that doesn't sound like censorship that leaves you shaking in your boots, I don't know what does. But let's say that I am Big Brother, and I am in charge of the style book, and I say to you, gentlemen, you will never again be allowed to use the words burglar or trespasser because I don't like those words. And you think to yourself, crazy, but I'll go along with it. And now as a reporter, you have to write a story about somebody who broke into a man's house and he called the police. And But as we're told that aliens are now undocumented immigrants, I'm going to further order that we will henceforth refer to burglars and trespassers as guests. So imagine the report you write. Police were called to 123 Main Street because the owner of the house uh, reported the presence of guests in his living room. How does that sound to you? Crazy. Well, yeah. But picture that. Would you not read the article and say, what in the world is going on? He called the police and they arrested guests who were in his living room? When the actual report should have said he called police when he found two burglars sitting in his living room. Exactly, exactly. And there is a distinction between, well, law enforcement between unwanted guests and burglars, but in the larger sense in what you're talking about, yeah. But but understand what this does to people's understanding of what's going on. Exactly. So suddenly you look at this and you say, is this guy a nasty guy? He invites people into his house so he can then call the police and have them locked up? What kind (laughs) of an animal is he? What kind of friend is he? Right? He invited in guests, and then he calls the cops. What is wrong with him? Right. Instead of writing the report and saying, he came home and found people broke into his house, so he called the police, we're turning burglars into guests. We're turning illegal aliens into undocumented workers. You see, so what's happened is, by changing perception, you change reality. Because people come to understand it that way. And then it becomes a conditioned response. Very well so said, by the way. People that aren't used to hearing the word alien freak out when they hear the word alien because for every year that they went to graduate school, they sat in those classes and listened to professors tell them that the word alien is a pejorative. It would be like going on the air and dropping the F-bomb or the N-word or some word that, oh, my God, did he really say that? <laughs> you see, this is Pavlov's dogs, those conditioned journalists were reacting to their conditioning. The Nazis did the same exact thing. It was called the big lie. You tell a lie, 
you repeat it at every opportunity that you can by the people highest and most authoritative in government and journalism. And after a short while, the lie becomes, quote-unquote, public knowledge. Right. Public knowledge. And, and that's what's happened. We're going to alter people's understandings of international law, of border security, of citizenship, by just using the change in words, and not many words. Now, they go beyond that. If there are demonstrations, people saying they want secure borders, they want the immigration laws enforced. As an inspector, I started to say this. I admitted aliens many, many more times than I denied entry to aliens. So you would think that if you're pro-enforcement, according to the narrative, that you don't want to let anybody in. When I was an adjudications officer for a year, I issued green cards to many more people than I denied green cards. But no one hears that side of it. We actually have a member of Congress saying that the ICE agents are gangs. Think about that. So understand what's happened. Even the mainstream media, when they talk about pro-immigrant, anti-immigrant, who's anti-immigrant? Anybody who says enforce the law. Who's pro-immigrant? Anyone who calls for anarchy. In that same in that same uh, context, uh, Michael Cutler is our guest. Uh, MichaelCutler.net, former INS agent. Um, Hot Air, uh, the publication Hot Air, just reported July 28th, where ICE might be getting ready to arrest some sanctuary city mayors. Uh, your thoughts on this? I, I mean, we, I, I guess I'm stuttering. I because want to be Raymond. I want to be Raymond. Amen. Uh, well, you know, well, my fault for this why, is if you go to Title Eight. Understand, we enforce laws. We're law enforcement officers. It's not that we're going out there and, 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 and carrying on and acting lawlessly. Sanctuary cities are acting lawlessly. Title Eight, United States Code, Section thirteen twenty four. That's the smuggling statute, guys. Here's where it's a felony. You are committing a felony if you smuggle aliens into the United States. You are committing a felony if you harbor illegal aliens, if you shield illegal aliens from detection, if you knowingly transport illegal aliens. You are committing a felony if you aid or abet, encourage or induce aliens to enter the United States illegally or remain here thereafter illegally. How close does that come to the activities of a sanctuary city? Now look at the word sanctuary at the risk of sounding a bit like George Carlin. When you say sanctuary, I, I hear birds tweeting and babbling brooks and blue skies and soft music playing. Lush fields, a place of warmth, safety, and serenity. Who's being shielded from detection? People who snuck into the United States. Now, I'll tell you what. Most people who enter without inspection are simply desperate for a job. They know they don't have enough money, so they can't get a visa. So they say, okay, the only way I can get in is to sneak in. Fine. That creates enough problems that it's a violation of our laws, and in many countries, you're treated very seriously. I mean, I don't even want to talk about totalitarian governments. That's a whole other story. But this is serious. This is somebody breaking and entering. Okay? But you also have people that are sneaking in because they just killed, they just raped, they just murdered, they just pillaged, and they are running from law enforcement, so they come here to hope that the trail will go dark and go cold and they won't be caught. We had that with the Nazi war criminals, didn't we? We've had that with terrorists. They're, they're wanted in other countries. They come here. And some of these folks mind their own business, and some of them just can't help it. They revert back to their old ways, 
and they kill and rape and do more damage in America. They're a threat to our safety. You also have people who come to the United States because they're gang members. They want to set up shop. They're terrorists looking for an opportunity to carry out an attack. We don't know who they are. We don't know why they're here. And so when you have the open borders crowd say, oh, he's arresting people, but they've committed no crimes. Yeah, they did. They entered illegally. And entering illegally first time is administrative offense, but the second time is a felony. And if you've been deported and you come back illegally, uh, it's a two-year felony unless you're a criminal. I worked with Al D'Amato to write that law in the 80s. Do you know that the maximum penalty for unlawful reentry by a criminal alien is 20 years in jail? Don't tell me that's not a crime. And when some guy runs the border and we don't know who he is, we don't know if it's his first time or his 20th time, we don't know if he uh, just raped a five-year-old girl or he's simply looking to wash dishes. So when people say, well, the guy is, you know, never been arrested, it doesn't matter. He's violating some of the most fundamental laws our country has, and those laws are designed to protect us. In fact, the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, made it clear that border security needs to be thought of as a major component of national security. With all that's going on, think of the way you're frisked at an airport to get on an airplane, and you're not a suspect. You don't have any convictions but you're treated as though you pose a threat to that airplane and its passengers because we live in a dangerous era. And no one says a word. We quietly get on the plane. We subject ourselves to radiation, to searching, to a loss of privacy. The Fourth Amendment is out the window because we're living in a dangerous era. But if you dare suggest that somebody who evades the inspections process should be arrested just purely for that violation of law, then the accusations start, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, you know, you talked about people, uh, you know, being deported and continuing to reenter. How many times, and every week it seems we see stories like this where, uh, a man was deported five or six times and then, you know, kills a family while drunk Kate driving. Steinle. Yeah. It, the guy so when are we going to put American lives first? And that's what Trump is trying to do. And that's why he turned around and said we need the Raise Act. Because it doesn't make sense to have family reunification at the expense of America and Americans. Look, I believe that if an alien immigrates legally to the United States, he or she should be able to bring their spouse and their children here. You know, minor kids, absolutely, it's a nuclear family. But do you know that under the current law, if you become an American citizen, you can petition the government to admit all of your brothers and all of your sisters and all of their spouses and all of their minor children? Yeah, where does that end? I mean, cousins, second cousins... Uh, you know, and that was nephews. what this judge in Hawaii said, that if you are on that list of countries, and it's not because they're Muslim, it's because they either have an affiliation with terrorism, such as Iran, or they cannot or will not vet the people that have passports. And so this judge in Hawaii said, well, it's not enough that we talk about mothers and fathers and, and brothers. We need to include brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law and cousins and uncles and aunts, tigers and lions and bears, oh my. You know, who are we going to leave out? So if, say, uh, somebody comes over and then they get to bring their cousins over because they're relatives, do those cousins in return get to bring over their grandparents and their, I mean... Ultimately, ultimately, I mean, look, this is the madness. And so Trump said, look, let's go to the kind of point-based system that we're seeing in other countries like Canada, like Australia, where you have a, a, a skill that we need, 
And, and the only thing that I would caution Mr. Trump about, and I think that he's doing that already. I know Jeff Sessions is very concerned about that. Sessions is one of my few heroes in Washington. Is there's got to be integrity to the process so we don't wind up bringing in foreign workers when Americans are ready, able, willing to do the jobs uh, so that, you know, we're, we're displacing them. But he's been very clear that he doesn't want that to happen, and the solution is to hire more agents, which is what he wants to do. I believe he wants to hire another 10,000 ICE agents, which I would call a great start. But, you know, I, I think he's right about prosecuting mayors and others, because think of what this does. It puts pressure on the border. Because aliens say to themselves, wow, if I can get to New York, if I can get to Los Angeles, if I can get to Chicago, named the sanctuary city, they're going to harbor me from the police and from immigration so I don't have to worry about anything. We have a phenomenon in New York of these women, mostly illegal aliens, uh, custom characters. They dress up like Donald Duck and Goofy and Mickey Mouse, and the women run around uh, in panties and body paint. And they accost people on the street, and they say, well, you've taken a picture with me. Now I want whatever they want, $50. I have no idea. And people are appalled. They said, I didn't want to take a picture with you. Well, you did, and now you have to pay me for it. And according to newspaper accounts in New York City, the police are very, very reluctant to arrest them because most of those women are illegal aliens. And if they arrest illegal aliens, they're going to get into trouble with their bosses because now what do they do? Do they notify immigration? Don't they notify I was told by one police officer, and I'm still trying to check this one out, that in New York City, believe it or not, when you arrest someone and you fill out the fingerprint card, apparently the police have been told, do not ask the person what country they were born in. Think about that. Do not indicate place of birth on the fingerprint card. We are willing to turn America upside down to flood America with foreign nationals. By the way, we already admit a million lawful immigrants plus every year. We admit tens of millions of non-immigrants, that is to say temporary visitors, every year. We don't have a shortage. So why are, and this is the question I'd love to have every mayor of every sanctuary city and every governor of every sanctuary state answer the question. What makes illegal aliens so valuable that you are willing to support anarchy within your jurisdiction? When I did my first congressional hearing, I said, you know, we got one opportunity for a first impression. For millions of people around the world, the first impression they gain of the United States is when they seek to enter the United States, and those laws that they encounter are the immigration laws. We have convinced people across the world that in America, not only do we allow people to get away with breaking our laws, but we encourage those violations of law and are willing to reward them. Is that the first impression the United States of America wants to provide to the entire world? Come to America, violate the laws, and we'd love to have you. Is that not insane? Yeah, I mean, you, you said, said it earlier. It's as though these, uh, whether they're immigrants or uh, any class of the social justice people, that uh, there are certain groups of people that are receiving special rights above and beyond what the American citizens, uh, the everyday, you know, tax-paying, hard-working American citizens are even given. And even more so now, we see that uh, those same groups of people, the Americans, are being, you know, put behind the eight ball and labeled racist and, and xenophobic and Islamophobic for, you know, just asking for the, the equal rights and equal opportunities. And it, it's just a constant battle in the media. And, and unfortunately, the media is on the insanity side so they're you know 
continuing to push. And this is tyranny. And this is, yeah. and this is how tyranny begins. Because if you decide that there are groups of people to whom the laws don't apply, I remember years ago people were very upset that diplomats from certain countries would illegally park their cars and do all kinds of things and then yell diplomatic immunity. And people resented it. Now you've got illegal aliens with better, I mean look, it's a, it's a felony to claim to be an American if you're not. I'm wondering when the day will come when Americans are going to start to make false claims to be illegal aliens, figuring they can get out of whatever problem they're in. I mean, this is insanity. You would think that a country would put its own citizens ahead of all others. I, I can tell you that I remember my, my late wife's parents um, had family in Russia. They went to visit them. They had the gum department store. And it was only for foreigners because they wanted foreign money to pour into their economy to affect their balance of payments. Russians could not go to that department store, but foreign visitors could. And everyone thought that was bizarre. Why would you provide opportunities for foreigners you don't provide for your own citizens? Well, guess what? Yeah. We're doing it right now, but in a much more profound way where our laws are concerned, where aliens are being encouraged to come here knowing that our laws that we as Americans must abide by, they can flip us the bird and thumb the nose at our laws. So who are you encouraging to come here? And I mean, imagine as the stories about um, these women that are accosting these tourists spreads around the country. It'll be like the bad old days of Times Square where people didn't want to come here because it was seedy and raunchy with all the strip joints and all the crime. I remember that. And so yep. you're going to wind up where people are going to say, wow, New York is no longer the destination for me. And they run a very real risk of doing it because they interviewed some people who were tourists from out of town who said, you know, I don't think I want to come back here again. This was disgusting. I was with my little six-year-old boy, and this woman with, with only panties on ran over and hugged me. <laughs> and so are we willing to destroy tourism in New York because we have a mayor who's that hell-bent on opening the floodgates for people who shouldn't be in the United States? I mean, when does the madness end? And so when you talk about criminally charging people, if you're allowing people out of jail, it's called a jailbreak. If you're refusing to allow immigration to know about people who are here illegally, especially when they've been arrested, think of the impact you're having on public safety and national security. You're giving terrorists an opportunity to embed themselves in New York you have a mayor providing identity documents, and this is being done all over the country. The Real ID Act was passed after 9-11. The 9-11 Commission found that the 19 hijackers in the aggregate used 364 false aliases or variations of false aliases. To a bad guy, an alias is coloration the way a chameleon changes color. When, al when people are arrested, no matter who arrests them or why they're arrested, the first thing you do is fingerprint them. Why? Because you know you've caught a fish. The question is, what fish did you catch? Bad guys use fake names. Good guys don't use fake names. It's very simple. So why would you provide ID to a person who can't prove who they are, and that ID then gives that person a level of credibility that he or she should not have? It's a threat to national security. You know, and again, I consider myself pretty liberal on lots of issues. But when I look at fundamental issues, national security, public safety, 
Uh, I'm a Democrat because in the old days, the Democrats looked out for working America. My dad will always be one of my very biggest heroes. He was a construction worker, tradesman. Blue-collar Americans built America. They continue to build America. There was a wonderful movie called October Sky, written uh, by Homer Hickam. His book was The Rocket Boys. And it turned out that when Sputnik was launched, and I certainly relate to this, he was so captivated by it that he decided to start entering science fairs and building rockets. He was the son of a coal miner. The reason I'm mentioning Hickam, Hickam, and by the way, I had the privilege of a 30-minute phone conversation with him, which blew me away. My original dream was to be an aerospace engineer. I met a bunch of the astronauts. I got letters letters as a kid from Shepard and Grissom and so forth. And um, he delivered the eulogy at the Sago Mine Disaster. And he brought tears to my eyes because I heard that he was going to deliver that eulogy about 10, 12 years ago. My wife walked into the bedroom where we had the TV, and I was standing there wiping my eyes. She said to me, you okay? I said, yeah, but he just said something, and it just resonated in my heart. I lost my dad to lung cancer when he was 57 and I was 19, Mm. uh, part because he smoked Chesterfields, but also because he worked in the shipyards during the Second World War. He had to contribute to the war effort. And Homer Hickam said, there's no water holier than the sweat off a man's brow. And I thought of my father, and I thought of all those guys that I met who worked with him in the construction trades. There was never a job that was too dangerous, too dirty, or too overwhelming. My father hated the word impossible. There was no mission impossible. At worst, it was mission difficult. So you have politicians today talking about the jobs Americans won't do, displacing hardworking Americans with foreign workers, because those far workers are so desperate, they're easy to exploit. This is the modern-day slave trade. And if you dare say anything about it, you treat it as though you're the bigot, you're the bad guy. And so um, the Democratic Party, going back 30, 40, 50 years ago, was the party that represented people like my dad and his buddies. They have become the antithesis of what they had been. See, I expect the Republicans to look out for business owners, and that's fine because both sides of the labor management issue have real issues, and they have understandable concerns, and and that's how life works. It's balanced. You know, I like to ask people who's more responsible. Who do we give credit for where D-Day was concerned? Was it the brilliance of General Eisenhower, one of my favorites, and the other leaders of the military, or was it the unbelievable gallantry of those soldiers willing to lay down their lives for America? I would argue that it was a team effort, and both sides deserve tons and tons and tons of credit. We can't thank them ever or their descendants. But the point is, the wheels came off the wagon when the Democrats turned their back on the half of that equation. So the scale fell to one side, and the average American worker and his family was left out in the cold. And they're still doing it to us. And I have to tell you, Americans need to stand up to this. They need to understand the lies. I call it the immigration con game that has been foisted on us by both political parties because they want those campaign contributions from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is more concerned with head counts on airplanes and body counts at the morgue. It's just very simple. And by the way, uh, the funeral industry is an industry. Maybe they're trying to drum up business for the funeral homes. God knows. But the point is we've gotten away from the notion, and that's why people hate politicians, because we elected them to represent us and our families and our aspirations for our children, and they are betraying us with few exceptions. Jeff Sessions, certainly an exception. He's one of my heroes. 
Steve King, my good friend Lou Barletta from Hazleton, Pennsylvania, Congressman, uh, and there are others, Senator Cotton, Senator Perdue, who came out today with the RAISE Act, uh, Senator Grassley, great people trying to do the right thing. But the resistance they're getting from both sides of the aisle is anti-American at its worst. Again, tell me I'm getting something wrong here, guys. No, no you're not. And I just want to tell you, five minutes, you've got, we've got five minutes until well, the top of the hour, and you take it wherever you want to. It, it's all yours, brother. Well, I'm just thanking you, and I want the American people, I want your audience to get involved. You know, when those ashes landed on my house on 9-11, I knew I had to do what I'm doing. I, I just knew it. My rage was in the stratosphere. It's only gotten worse, not better. I'm angrier every night because things are not changing or had not been changing until Trump was elected. And I don't agree with everything Donald Trump says. I don't like his choice of language sometimes. He irritates me like everybody else. I'm an American. I'm entitled to be irritated. I'm entitled to be angry. I'm entitled to voice my opinion. And increasingly, we're being told you can't voice your opinion. We're going to be politically correct. No, that's newspeak. That's about the elimination of words to eliminate the thoughts. But I will tell you that it's Trump and his administration that for the first time in decades, for the first time in generations, is trying to put American workers first. And if people don't see it, they need to take a deep breath and look again. We need to make certain that we don't allow terrorists into the United States, that we don't allow drugs and drug traffickers into the United States. And we need to make certain that Americans, Americans get the first shot at the jobs. And if you look at what's happened to America's minority communities, they're taking it up the tail worse than anybody. They're the ones where the drugs are flowing into their communities, where violence has been commonplace, where there's a sense of hopelessness. This isn't something I read somewhere, guys. It's something I saw every day when I went on duty. It broke my heart. Kids living in poverty aren't dumber than kids living in opulence. Although there was a report that said that living in poverty... Uh, has the equivalent of reducing a person's IQ. I think it was by 18 points or something. But here's the point. We are our brother's keeper, and it doesn't matter about race, religion, ethnicity, none of that. As Americans, we should be united to make certain that Americans do well in their own country. That's what this is about. And so when you look at the lies being told by the media, when you look at how we're being told what we can and cannot say, here's my thought. I'm not afraid to aggravate people. I'm not afraid to insult people. I'm not afraid to make people want to, you know, walk away from me. People need to understand that in America, freedom of speech isn't an option. But if we don't exercise it, we can lose it like a vestigial organ. And that's something Americans have to do. You know, I think that when Memorial Day rolls around and we honor those who gave their lives for America instead of linen sales and barbecues, maybe we should have a national day of debate and discourse so that we remember what debate sounds like, so that we know that as Americans we can disagree and still be friends and still be fellow Americans. I think the greatest demonstration of patriotism comes when you stand your ground peacefully in a fact-based, objective debate. That's something we need to teach our kids. And what you're doing on this program by providing access to the information that the mainstream media won't provide uh, is really serving tremendously uh, for America and Americans. Because that's really what's happened to America. Intimidation has become the tactic to shut down debate. And as Americans, we should resist, stand up, 
And uh, because someone disagrees with you, they're not their enemy. They're not your enemy. They're simply an American with a different viewpoint. And as long as we're respectful, as long as we are peaceful about it, as the First Amendment says, then we should honor anybody willing to step forward if they can substantiate what they're saying with real facts and make them accountable and uh, and make sure you understand the difference between an opinion based on nothing and an opinion that's fact-based. Facts do matter. Isn't that what John Adams said? Facts (laughs) are stubborn things. Exactly. Boy, I'll tell you, you just, you, you hit a grand slam today. I, I, I cannot thank you enough for your, your candor, your, um, just the vast amount of knowledge that you have and the applied knowledge, of course, and the, and the fact that you're speaking up, speaking out and saying the way it really is. Thank you so very much. Now we're going to be looking for your article coming out in front page magazine, correct? Front page mag, and please also go to capsweb.org. I have that piece up today about um, how the Supreme Court is uh, undermining the president's authority to keep terrorists okay. out of the United States. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you like this stuff, forward it to your friends. I call it my bucket brigade of truth. Mm-hmm. Let's get the information to as many Americans as we can. I will send you the link to this specific edited portion where you where you were on. And uh, feel free to use it as you see fit. Thank you so very much for your service to our country and your continued service to all of America. You're a great man. Thank you. We really appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Right. wonderful. I appreciate you having me. Let me know when you want me back. I'll be glad to do it. All right, sir. Folks, well. network break. We're going to be right back. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com 
or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. If it's Wednesday, it's Pastor Langford in the last hour. And I was so excited, folks. I, I, I mean, I was like a little kid at Christmas time when I got this in the mail. Both Joe and I received a copy of, of Pastor Langford's book, The New Jerusalem Bride. I don't know if you can see this in the mystery of the church. I don't know if it's somewhat um, there we go if, if I can hold it upright I feel like Vanna White look like it too pick a letter yeah uh, now I'm going to pick a number now I'll, I'll tell you what uh, so in all honesty uh, when I got when I got Pastor David Langford's book The New Jerusalem Bride and the Mystery of the Church I, I kind of I, I was I was really wondering what this was about and I thought, hmm, you know, I, I wasn't lukewarm about the topic. I just wasn't excited about the topic. Five pages in, I'm excited about the topic. I don't know how I did it, but he wrote me in. And soon I began to connect some dots that, you know, were, were kind of muddy and cloudy for me about uh, about the marriage supper, the... the uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but but just some of the the contents include, but are not limited to the church of as the body and not the uh, not the bride, the means of deception. What an incredible chapter that is! The blood, the bread, and discerning His body, baptized into one body, and Jesus, the bridegroom? Question mark and so on. And I realized it, by about the middle of the book, I realized that some of the Long, my long-held beliefs were I was misinterpreting them. So this book has helped me immensely. And if you don't have it, I would urge everyone to grab a hold of it. It is, you know, I, would, I didn't even do a, a page count on this. It's 227 pages in length, and there's not a wasted word in here. And I'm not trying to sell this book. I'm just telling you what helped me understand what's 
in the written what's in the Bible, the written word. This helped me because in this book, Pastor Langford does a very thorough examination concerning the church, the body of Christ. Throughout the many years, the assertion has been made that the church is the bride of Christ, but there are no scriptures to, to validate neither. Authenticate um, that assertion. So Pastor Langford reveals how there is no marriage in heaven, but the marriage supper of the Lamb is here on earth. And that's the best summation, which is on the back of the book, that can be provided. And I'm so so thankful to have Pastor David Langford with us. Before we get to Pastor Langford, I would do want to direct your attention to ready-made resources. If you have not prepared for the eventuality of a disruption, if you have not prepared yourself for... Um, if you've not been equipped with night vision, with communications equipment, in terms of uh, like ham radio and such, go to ready-made resources, contact Bob Griswold, mention, you heard it on Hagman Report, 800-627-3809. That's, that's where to call. Or just simply go to readymaderesources.com, go to hagmanreport.com, click on the link, it'll take you right there. And for this special, the Hagman special, click on Outdoor and Tactical, and then click on Communications, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, but the Hagman Special with communications, or just simply call them or email them and ask them for the Hagman Special. It's an incredible special, but prepare yourself with night vision, thermal imaging, the, the whole gambit. And they also have top quality everything. Ready-made resources is the best of the best of the best of the best in terms of preps. And Yeah, go ahead. Yes, yes they are, readymaderesources.com. Before we get to Pastor Langford, uh, I saw this online here, and then John just sent me a text. Former Hagman guest Jim Mars has passed away. Alex Jones tweeted 14 minutes ago. Um, he was on with us last fall. He's a, a great author, journalist, and researcher. Um, he was older, so I'm not sure exactly what you happened. You know, I talked to him after that interview, uh, probably a month or two after that interview, and uh in his honor, we will put up that last interview on YouTube. Yeah, he was really good at what he what he did. What he did. I'm very sorry to hear that. Thanks, John, for that update. All right. Well, without any uh, further delay, let's bring on Pastor Langford. Pastor, first and foremost, you, I want to say thank you well, for the book. You're quite welcome. I didn't know you'd get it so soon. Yeah, I already read. I already read the preface. Just starting into chapter one, and it's uh, <laughs> that. It's a it's a great read already, and I can't wait to get into the rest of it. Hopefully, I'll have it done by the weekend. You, you oh, actually great. had, you, you my my wife actually picked up the book last night, and uh, she, she was reading the. First, she, I think she read the first two chapters already. So, and, and she's not that big of a reader, um, but but uh, I got to tell you, this is an incredible book. I don't know how long it took you to how long it took you to write this. It didn't take me, but about four or five weeks to write it. Just my publisher, uh, who's done. My last four books uh, disagreed with me doctrinally, so he fought me all the way, and I finally just got upset. And I said, "Hey, finish the book. I can't, I can't uh, help it whether you can understand the revelation or not." Uh, any any time God reveals something to people, the norm uh, has to be broken. That barrier, it's, and it's a tremendous barrier. It's like the pre-tribulation rapture. You know, you've got people that just can't turn loose of that false doctrine. And they'll argue, you know, tooth and toenail. I get it I constantly, you know, in, in a hammer of the resurrection. There's only two of them. And they'll still come back. Well, there could be three, there could be four, there could be five. And so I've heard for many years, and I, I didn't come tonight to discuss the book. We'll, we'll hit on it briefly, uh, because I didn't know you'd get it this quickly. But the reason I wrote the book was 
we've heard many people throughout the years make the assertion that the church is the bride of Christ. Well, if somebody could just give me one Bible verse, a scripture to authenticate that, I would look at it. But nowhere is the church ever described as a woman, a bride, or a virgin. But Paul did say, I show you a great mystery, talking about Christ, church, his body, and we the members. We're members of his body. And uh, and Paul, of course, made that revelation very, very clear in Ephesians 5 and 30. For he said, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So if we are attached to him, how then can we be the bride? We can't. And that's the mystery of the of, of the bride. And so all of these assertions, and where this uh, doctrine got started from was Second Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Well, men can be virgins as well. Okay, but I fear this by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, which we have not, ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. And so they said, well, because Christ is presenting the church, you know, as a bride, I mean as a virgin, then the church must be a bride. But it doesn't say that, because men can be virgins just as well as women. But what Paul, if you understand that passage, he didn't want them to be spiritually fornicated with. Even James 4 and 4, because we are joined to Christ, and to and it's like a husband and wife are joined. Either party breaks the sever or severs the, the marriage vow, the marriage covenant. It's through adultery. Single people commit fornication. Well, James 4 4 said, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So they, they tried to take that passage there in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2, 3, and 4, and make the assertion that the church is a bride. But nowhere, as I said in the scriptures, is the church ever described as a female, a woman, or a bride. But we do know that New Jerusalem, that's the bride, the Lamb's wife. It's, just, it's so clear in Revelation 21 and 2 and verse 9. 21 and 2 and 21 and 9. It is so clear. He told John, come here, that I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he showed me in New Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God as a bride adorned for her husband. And I and I clear up the, the there's, a, there's, there's, it's not that it's confusion. I, I hate to use that term. It's people don't understand. Uh, in, in Revelation, if, you know, if people talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage is in heaven. No, the marriage is not in heaven. Why? Because in Matthew twenty two thirty, Jesus said they they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they are as the angels in heaven. We've never witnessed a, a marriage ceremony in heaven. Why? There's no need to marry. And so in Revelation nineteen and seven it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, who's that? That's Israel. He was married to Israel, and the reason I come to that conclusion was God put Adam to sleep, and he took a rib, and he brought forth Eve. Eve was not created like Adam was. She was made. 
She, if you look it up in the, the Hebrew word is banah. She was built. Adam was formed out of the earth. So God took a part of his body and made, and that's, that's the mystery of the oneness. We're flesh of his flesh, of his flesh, Paul said, bone of his bone. We're, 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 we're a member of his body. And so the great tribulation gets Israel ready, and she's made herself, because in Genesis 15, when God brought Abraham into covenant with him, he did the same thing. He put Abraham to sleep. And the reason he put Abraham to sleep was because Abraham would have no part in the covenant. If, if, if we three make an agreement, all of us have a part in the agreement. Or if two men, Abraham and Abimelech, they made an agreement among themselves. They were both sober, wide awake, and so they knew what the requirements were of the covenant. Abraham, when he awoke, he didn't know what had happened. But he had been divinely, through the sovereignty of God, brought into a divine relationship wherein he had nothing to do with it. That's why grace was before the law. And then we went back into the spirit of grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So grace has always been. Law was, was kind of like the, the, the middle. You got two pieces of bread on each side of the meat. You got grace on both sides. And, and, and before the flood, and then after Christ died, we have the other half of grace. So... That's why I wrote the book, was to clear up uh, its fallacy, you know. And I know somebody asked me, says, why do you always do stuff that's controversial? Well, I don't do it because it's controversial. I do what I do because it is the truth. You know, I know two and two makes four. And you can spend all your time uh, trying to change my mind, but I'm not going to change my mind because I know the truth. And and we, we get the truth from the Word of God. You know, I was thinking today, why is there so much error in everything in this world? Because people don't know the truth. Salesmen, and this is not a reflection against anybody listening, but we all know how they will tell you something to get the sale and if they don't come through. You know, Obama said, you like your doctor, you keep your doctor. You like your health care, you keep your health care. You see, this is a way of life for these people. And we're all being lied to about something every day, every day, uh, in some capacity. And that's why we sometimes, regretfully, we make a bad decision. And uh, we make that decision, and it was based on a lie, and then the foundation is already ruined. And then you build on that existing lie, and somewhere down the the road, you're going to have trouble, and when you do, you're going to find out where the trouble began. It began when you trace the lie back to its origin. Just, just like today, is, is, is 2017. It's about the year of 5,800 something, I believe, in the Hebrew calendar, maybe 700 something, I forget exactly now. I think it's 5777. Okay, okay, so we're, we're in that neighborhood. Okay, so if we want, to, we want to trace back the fall of man, when did it happen? Go back to the Garden of Eden. There's your origin. And the serpent said unto the woman, Genesis 3, and the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Because the Bible said in verse 1, the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field. And then he posed the question, Hath God said? So what he did to Eve, and, and and the devil does that to all of us, he makes an assertion. He's a purveyor of lies. That's all he can do. He, he cannot tell the truth. If we if we had the devil sitting in an office today and said, hey, what time is it? 
and it's 914, 915, he'd say it's 815. He would lie to you, or he'd say it's 1015. I know there's different time frames. We've got 24 one-hour time zones in the world. Uh, it wasn't by happenstance that God did that. And so when God says, no man knows the day or the hour, that's why, that's, that's why I'm, I laugh at anybody. I mock and I laugh any person that will take any interest in these people saying the rapture, I think, is going to take place September the 23rd. Because somewhere in the world, it's not going to be September the 23rd. It's going to be September the 24th. It's not, we've got 24 uh, one-hour time zones around the world. And what, what creates that, that, that time change is space. So anybody that tells you that, that's why Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. They're not even smart enough to figure it out. It's not the same time everywhere. That, that shows you how ignorant, how ignorant and obstinate people can be and say, oh, I got this one figured out. 1988, Edgar Wisnett. 88 reasons why Jesus Christ will come. September 1988. Well, that's been uh, 29 years ago. And after that, he was a NASA engineer. And after that, he said, I, I missed it by one year. It'd be 1989. Well, he missed that one, too. So all fallacy is based on a lie. All deception is based upon a lie. You know, when somebody deceives you in a business deal, they lied to you somewhere. They told you this is the facts, this is the truth, so help me God. But in that dialogue, they buried a lie, willfully, intentionally. And and, and, and the whole world has become seduced for the most part. And, and, and I hear it all the time, well, everyone lies. Well, that's not true. I, I try my best to live as God as I can, and, and if you don't ever lie, you don't ever have to try to get yourself out of trouble. That, that's when you get in trouble. But, but, but liars lie, and, 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 and it's all in our, in our government, regretfully. And, and this is how these people think. You know, they say, we're going to cut deficit spending. That is a lie. When you say you're going to cut deficit spending, that means if you're spending 100%, you're going to cut it back to 95%. You know, uh, you're going to take something back. Well, they'll spend 115% and cut it back to 110 and they'll tell you, we cut deficit spending. You're still in a deficit. You've got to get under the dollar, the 100 mark, before you've actually started cutting it, see? But, but this is just how the rhetoric and the jargon goes on day after day after day after day. And... Yeah, that's why the Bible tells us about Christianity. First John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether it be of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. If a, if a person is genuine, they don't mind being tested. They're going to prove their authenticity and their validity. If they won't let it be tested, that shows you right there there's something wrong. This happens in engineering uh, construction all the time in engineering. They, 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 you know, you got like 3,000 PSI. So that says per square inch, you could put 3,000 pounds of pressure. Well, somebody will manipulate the concrete, and it won't hold that. But they told you that. But really, the pressure was only 2,000 PSI. And, and, and so they'll tell you this, but they know they're giving you this. You know, and we've all had that encounter, switch and bait, where we got promised something, and when we got there to get it, that's not what we, we, we were promised. And then they want to 
you know, criticize you, haggle with you, find fault in you, and tell you you have a bad attitude. But all you're asking for is what you were promised. See, that's why the promises of God, Paul said, let them be yea and amen. In other words, yes and yes, so be it. You know, God's all of God's promises are yea, see? And, uh, of course, the devil, as he did with Adam, he came along, made that assertion, half God really said that. So he, he brought Eve to a place of a decision. And her decision was, wait a minute, who's lying to me, God or the devil? Somebody's lying to me. Well, regretfully, she made God the liar and Satan the truth. And ever since then, we've had this profuse manipulation. We've had, you know, Isaiah 5 and 20, they will call bitter, sweet, sweet, bitter, put light for darkness, darkness for light, good for evil and evil for good. And we witness this every day in America. The commercials, read the fine print. They put it so small on the television screen, you can't read it. But they're lying to you. But because of uh, the, 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 uh, the act of truthfulness, there's all sorts of legislation about the, the truth acts. They, they put that fine print in there, and, uh, and, and then they say, well, it was in the print, you just didn't read it. Well, how many people read the fine print? That's what Congress does all the time, amending bills and putting stuff in there. And, you know, the, 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 the legislators vote for it. They know it's wrong, but they're getting something for their district. So you come up with the term, well, we compromised. Well, anytime you compromise, you lose something. You know, if you say, I'm dead set, I'm not selling this car for less than $2,000, and somebody comes along with 17 crisp $100 bills and says, hey, would you take that? And you see those 17 $100 bills, you're like, you know what? That's cash. I'll, I'll just take it. Well, you compromised. Now, it's not a sin, but the fact is, you said you weren't going to take less than 2000 but you gave in. You know, and, and kids learn real quickly as children how to manipulate and cry and squall and throw a temper tantrum. And they see they get their way. You know, and we've all had to discipline our kids. If if you, if you did, when they you know acted haughty and and uh, stubborn and rebellious, and I, I'm not going to get in the car. Well, I'll show you, buddy. And you know, you jerk them up, throw them in the car. But but they'll threaten you, try to intimidate you. Uh, that's just the way kids are. They learn that psychology real early, don't they, Doug? <laughs> yes, they do. You got that right, my brother. I, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking to my right. I'm, I'm giving them the stink eye, you know. <laughs> right, you're, but but it's the truth. That's right. You know, and 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 so this is what's happened to our nation, you know, and. Um, Paul in uh, Galatians 3 and 18, 317, he said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, here's what's amazing. Of course, Paul uh, is having this great debate with the Galatians uh, because they were the purveyors of the law of circumcision, and they were, you know, they were, they were fighting uh, you know, left and right. I think I said four, three, three seventeen, three, it's four seventeen. I think I said three seventeen, or excuse me, sixteen. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So they got mad at Paul because he was telling them, the way you're going is wrong. So, so they blew up at Paul for telling the truth. You know, I would love for everyone to always tell me the truth. You know, I may not like it. I may not appreciate it. Uh, I've heard people say, well, you, you shouldn't always tell the truth because it might 
hurt somebody, especially in an adulterous affair. You, you shouldn't you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't share that. Um, you know, I understand what they're trying to do. What they're doing, they're going along to get along, and 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 somebody's being terribly hurt and damaged unknowingly when these things are taking place. That's that's the problem. See, we we don't think about the damage. You know, it'd be like a surgeon going in to do exploratory surgery. He finds the tumor, the malignancy, and he says, "You know what? I'm just going to leave that there and just act like it it wasn't there." Uh, you're hurting that person. You know, uh, you need to take it out, and then, and then, and then maybe they can have life and have a good life. Uh, but you leave it there, uh, it'll ultimately destroy them. And, and so, our world has become a world that's filled with lies. You know, and uh, uh, people, as I said, well, they say every, everybody does it, uh, but that's not true. And Christians uh, should know to not do that because. We are supposed to be filled with Christ's Spirit, which is the Spirit of truth. In Revelation 21, 8, John said, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And, and we're not to live that kind of a life. Uh, even one of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not bear false witness. See? And there are so many in our world that don't have a problem telling a lie. Uh, Ephesians 4.25 Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, if you take that scripture, that again shows we're not the bride of Christ, but we are members of Christ's body, the oneness. See, that's why we don't lie as Christians, because you're, you're contaminating the body. Galatians 5 and 9, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. You see, it has to be removed, the leaven, the sin. It has to be eradicated. If you don't, it's like rot. It's like uh, termites. You know, they're just going to keep eating until they've destroyed the whole house. You know, and, and that's the problem with sin. And we live in a sin-diseased, a sin-filled world. And so we have all of these things going on. And we as Christians, we're, we're in the middle of it. You know, we're caught in the middle of it. And... You know, you have to appreciate people who have spiritual integrity and will not compromise. You know, I have such great admiration and respect for, for, for the men that I know, that I, that I know on a regular basis or, or deal with, that they just, that's what, that's what creates trust. You know, you say, I, I can trust that person. Well, how can you trust them? Well, because I know them. I, they, they've never done anything to cause me to distrust them. But if you ever catch a person in a lie, you ever catch a person doing something duplicitous, you ever catch a person doing something willfully to deceive you, there's always that nagging thought in the back of your mind, are they doing it to me again? Yeah. What caused that was, was the deception, the lie, whatever it might be, it, it tears down the fiber. That's why our nation, the moral fiber of our nation, is, is so disgusting. You know, I mean... Who would have ever believed that the people that are in the offices of this nation, the, 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 the main officers of our nation, and their ability to lie? I mean, you know, one of the most flagrant lies ever told in arrogancy and pride was by Bill Clinton to the American population when he shook his bony finger in the face of the nation and said, I did not have sex with that woman. 
Well, ask any married woman if what Monica Lewinsky did, if that's not having sex, you see. But he had the audacity to arrogantly, with a smug look on his face, shake his finger at all of us and say, I didn't do it. Well, you know, the truth came out, of course, and he admitted only because of guilt, you know, irrefutable guilt, you know, I had a, an improper relationship. Yeah, you know, there you go. Dress it up now that you're caught lying. Try to put a, a good a good face on it. See, well, had you not compromised, you wouldn't be in that situation. Of course, we all know that was his lifestyle, his way of living. And, the, you know, this is like lying. You know, once you do it, you, you see you got away with something, it's always easier to do it again. And then again, and then again, and then your 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 life is a lie. You know, you're you're really an imposter. You're not nothing about who you claim you are. And you know, I don't want to be like that. You know, the reason being is God knows everything. You know, I was sitting at a dinner table one night with a physician, and um, my son asked him a question, uh, and he lied. The, the, the physician lied to my son. And uh, after the dinner, several days had passed, he called me and said, you need to tell your son I lied. I said, I'm not telling him you lied. You tell him you lied. He said, oh, I, 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 he snared me with that question. I was about taking steroids, I believe if I'm correct. And he said, I was guilty, but I didn't want to admit it because I'm a, I'm a physician. And But, you know, I'm not going to straighten out other people's lies. But, see... He regretted doing that because he compromised his own standard of conviction. And, of course, he made it right. He even asked God to forgive him, etc. But the point is, you know, there, there are things in my life uh, that, that, that I wouldn't want to share with anybody you know, that happened when I was in sin. I, I tell people since 1978, you know, you can dig in the files and the police records and reports. You're not going to find anything there. You know, I think I've had one spitting ticket since 1978. So, and believe it or not, I was rushing from my funeral to get with a couple guys and play a round of golf, if you can believe that. But I was in a hurry. But, you know, that, that's nothing. But, again, I wasn't lying. I was just speeding. But, but we, we live in a society today that has no problem if it's convenient, you know, to tell the lie. You know, and, and that's why we're such the morass and the sin and the debasedness that we have in this nation, you know, because people just don't think anything about it. You look at the last few, you know, Comey, uh, Loretta Lynch, uh, uh, what was the, the other black uh, attorney general? Uh, Eric Holder, yeah. Yeah, Eric Holder. Um, you know, lies are so detrimental. There's a Bible verse. I'm trying to get it in my mind. It's Amos 2 and 4. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. So their father's lying to the children has now caused the children to err. And it's, you know, I'm not sitting here judging the word, but it's, it's, it's not just an error. It has now become a blatant sin. See, and that's, it's, 
You know, if somebody lies to me, yes, it will cause me to err if I make a decision based on their lie. But once it becomes a lifestyle, I'm no longer erring because I have something better known as a conscience. And I know, you know, we all know, when we're starting to, you know, go down that path, we know just as soon as we're brought to that place and the wheels start turning and the mind starts whizzing and we're, you know, the, the, the brain is, you know, running 100 miles an hour and we're trying to think, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And that's when, of course, the devil takes that opportunity to seize our direction that we're going to take. If we have a good conscience, you know, we just have to step up to the plate and say, you know what, I just can't do that. I need to tell you something. I'm going to be transparent, et cetera, whatever. But that, that, that's how we get snared in our own temptations. You know, temptations are powerful. You know, every human being listening to this program tonight has been tempted. You might be tempted right now, tonight, or in the future. You may be tempted in some way or another. Jesus understands temptations. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points, I want to emphasize, all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Matthew 4.1 Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It was not happenstance. It was not by mere coincidence. The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And of course we know about the three temptations. And the way Jesus overcame those temptations, he didn't draw on his deity. He didn't draw on his majesty. He drew, as a natural man, flesh and blood, he drew from the scriptures. Every time the devil tempted him, he would quote from the book of Deuteronomy. I believe it's Deuteronomy 8, 3, 8, 16, and 6 and 16. He, he, he quoted the book of Deuteronomy because the book of Deuteronomy is better known as the book of obedience. And so every time the devil tried to pull him down in some capacity, he thwarted temptation. He thwarted it by quoting the Bible, which is an example to us. If we will rest on the Word of God, put our faith, our trust in God's Word, God's Word will help us. Every, every sin, every sin that's ever been committed has been preceded by a temptation. You know, Abraham lied. I believe it was Abimelech. No, not Abimelech. I'm trying to think of the king. But he, he, Slavery was his half-sister. They, the, they had the same father, different mothers, if I remember correctly. And so he lied. He said, she, she's, my, she's my sister, because he didn't want to, he felt like they, would, they may kill him uh, if they found out the truth. And he didn't want that to happen, of course, and he had fear. He, he had anxiety in his own life. So what does he do? He, 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 tells, a, he tells a lie. Uh, it was Pharaoh. Uh, I don't know why I could remember who it was. It was Pharaoh. And um, he, 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 he said, you know, uh, he, well, he feared that Pharaoh would take her and also put her in his harem and kill Abraham. And so he, he 
you know, said she, she, she's my sister. And, uh, of course, God intervened to stop it uh, because he, Pharaoh had a dream that uh, Sarah was Abraham's wife and intervened to, to stop it. But the temptation preceded the, 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 the sin. He knew he had a, a decision to make real quick, and his first thought was, you know, the temptation, I'll just lie about it. You know, I'll just lie about it. And I won't, I won't do it again. I'll, I'll get this, you know, took care of and, and move on. Well, that's what most people, you know, usually think. People who, uh, especially people who embezzle oftentimes, uh, you know, I'm going to put this money back. I'm in, I'm in a very precarious situation. Uh, my wife's been sick. Cars broke down. Heat pump went out. Had to buy shoes for my children. But I'm going to put it back. And, and that's their intent. That's their intent. But see, the devil knows how to take people and snare them in a, in a crisis, in a situation, and take advantage of it. So every temptation, or I should say every sin, is preceded by a temptation. You know. So what does Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? He said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. Now, what, 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 what does all of that mean? That's, that's kind of a mouthful uh, when you just, you just quote one passage like that. Well, he's trying to tell us there's always help if you want it. God is always there. Uh, Psalms fifty fifteen says, And call upon me, in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Paul said, again, in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever you're being tempted with, you're not the only one that's ever had to deal with that. The temptations that Christ suffered, endured, far exceeded anything we've ever been tempted with. And when the devil said, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and Luke, according to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Think about that. Uh, it didn't take him but a moment to show it to him, but he showed it to him, tried to dazzle him. And he tried to entice him. He tried to lure him. But Paul said, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, every man, woman, somewhere in life has faced this same temptation. But he says, God is faithful. I love that little phrase, but God is faithful. What does that mean? God will be there to give you assistance. God will be there to give you aid. And I'm telling you, everything that you do, and, and it's a battle to do the right thing, God will bless you for it. God will not suffer you to do the right thing and it go unrecognized, unnoticed, God will somehow repay you. He will reward you for your effort. So he says, first of all, God is faithful, who will not suffer you. Now, that word suffer in the Greek always means he will not allow or tolerate you. He will not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able. And, you know, people have, you know, say a problem with alcohol, and that temptation is just driving them crazy. The secret to overcoming that is you cannot make provision. You cannot make plans 
to fulfill the temptation. As I said, every sin is preceded by a temptation. I don't care what it is. A lie, stealing, snorting a line of coke, drinking a pint of liquor, it doesn't matter what it is. The, 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 the sin is always preceded by the temptation, the allurement, just, just to get you reeled in, to get you. And here's the thing about true Christianity. All of us have missed the mark at one time or another. And when Christians, when a true Christian misses the mark, they have great remorse and guilt for the sin they committed. They're just, they're overwhelmed by it. I wish I hadn't have done it. Why did I do that? You know, you look in the mirror and you're talking to yourself. That's, that's the carnal man and the spiritual man conversing when you're looking in the mirror. You're saying, are you crazy? Why, why did you do that? Why did, why, why did you do that? You know, the spiritual man is, is trying to straighten the carnal man out. And so God is being faithful. But see, once you yield to the temptation, that's when sin begins to rise. You know, James 1.13 says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, see there's a conception there, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the temptation does not come from God. Now God will allow trials, but God's not going to set you up, you know, with a pint of liquor. That's the devil. Job's faith was tested and even God didn't do that. The devil did that, but Job didn't sin. Now, the devil is trying to get Job to sin. And so the devil can bring afflictions in your life. He can bring uh, a temptation into your life that is overwhelming. But James said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. There's no way that a, 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 a thing, a circumstance, a situation could ever tempt God. See? God knows everything, you know, and there are many evils in the world. But God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither does he tempt any man with evil. See? Then James said, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. There's the key word, lust. See? H.A. Uh, Ironside said once, he said, a man's temptation is never any greater than the lust in his heart. Now, there's all types of lust. For the most part, as Christianity, we'll always just throw you know, sexual desires out there as lust. But there's so much other kinds of lust and covetousness, you know, greed, pride, uh, uh, power, uh, money. There's, there's all sorts of that in the world. And, and that's, that's what you see in Washington. There's such a lust for power these people, you know, backstab, cutthroat, lie. Why? Trying to climb the ladder of success. And it's hard. You know, when you, you people, I, I believe there's a lot of people who went there with intentions of doing good, but when they got there, you know, it'd be like a guy that has a problem with alcohol, say, I'm, I'm going to go to the bar tonight, and I'm going to witness for Jesus. You better stay away from that bar. Because before the night comes to a close, you'll be ordering drinks. 
you put yourself up, you made provision for the flesh, and you made a way for you to be destroyed. You see, and I believe a lot of people have gone to Washington thinking they're going to change things. But when you unplug, say, 15 senators and plug 15 back in, those 85 corrupt senators corrupt the 15 good ones that were just plugged in, or, or same way in the, in, the, in, the, in the Congress. 80, 90 new congressmen, freshman congressmen come up there, you know, ready to roll. You know, uh, Jeff Schaefer and Utah says, I'm done. Uh, you, you can't get nothing done up here. He's quitting, you know. Now, he's not quitting because he's a quitter. He's a quitting because he knows it's so corrupt. You know, there are things that become so corrupt that there's, it's, it's, it's irreversible. It's, the damage is done. It's like rust or rot. It's, 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 it's tomato, just throw it away. It's gone. Yet, there's nothing worth salvaging. Just throw the thing away. And that's kind of way Washington is. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, the, the, the craving is there. The appeal is there. And so the devil dangles the carrot, and that's to entice, to, to, to bring you on in to the circle, the snare, the net, to get you. And therefore James said, Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Now, there's no, there's no sin in temptation. None. Jesus was tempted. I heard a preacher one time say Jesus lusted. That's, that's, that's so idiotic. See, he didn't have the Adamic nature in him to want to lust. You and I have the Adamic nature, so the propensity is in us to have lust. Because we have a sin nature. Jesus didn't have a sin nature. That's why he could always overcome the devil. We're just quoting Bible verses. You see? But we... You know, we grapple sometimes. And so when lust hath conceived, in other words, it's, it's been consummated. You know, you, you, you've done it. You've done it. You, you went out there and you committed adultery. You were fighting it. You were trying to not do it, but yet you'd pick up the phone. You'd answer the text. You'd, you'd meet the person somewhere. And then you, you committed the, the sin. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now that's not physical death, just like Adam and Eve. They didn't die physically. They had a spiritual death immediately. And so God, believe it or not, blessed Adam and Eve by driving them out of the garden, putting the angels there with the flaming swords so they could not go back into the garden and eat of the tree of life and live eternally in a fallen state. You know, the, the program we did Monday night with Steve, this is, this is exactly what, why God drove them from the garden. Because had, had they gotten back into the garden, there were two trees there, and got a hold of the tree of life and partook of it, they would have had eternal life in a fallen state. And God knew what that outcome would be. Eternal destruction. I mean eternal pain, suffering. I mean, it's untold. You know, David said it like this in Psalms 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, when I, when I preach a Christian funeral, it is, it's a joy, because you know that person has just gone to sleep. That's why, you know, Lazarus and, and John chapter 11, Jesus said, he sleepeth. And the disciples were confused. Said, "Well, let's let's go sleep with him. Let's, let's go let's go do the same thing." He said, "You don't understand. They they couldn't get it." Paul in First Thessalonians chapter four, 
I would not have you be ignorant concerning them which are asleep. The Christian just goes to sleep. And that body does not have any consciousness, but the soul and the spirit went somewhere. Where did it go? Well, it went to be with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5, 7. For to be absent in the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. The sinner, no, they don't get to go in the presence of God. They are punished from the everlasting presence of God. Think about that. Think about that. They are. That's one of the punishments where you can never sense the presence of God. Second Thessalonians 1 and 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, as, as a minister and uh, preached thousands of sermons and had so many services where there was genuine Holy Ghost conviction. You know, I sense it, but not the way a sinner does. I sense it in its, its, its grandeur. I sense it in its love. I sense it in its compassion. The sinner senses it in the, in the fact that they're guilty. The Spirit of God has convicted them, and now they stand in the presence of God guilty. Who's making them aware of that guilt? The Spirit of the Lord. The devil condemns. See, but God will, he will show a man, you're wrong. You're, you're in sin. He's not condemning you. He's just showing you you're guilty. But look at the provision. He said, hey, I'll redeem you. I will forgive you of that, that you have done. And so one of the, the, the punishments is, is being uh, denied to, to, for all eternity to never again sense the presence of God. Even the love of God does not go beyond the corridors and the portals of hell. It, it just, it just, it can't go there. You know, maybe, maybe some week I'll, uh, I'll share uh, Flavus Josephus, uh, Hades. Uh, you know, you got different, different depths of hell, different dimensions, Tardis, uh, Gehenna. Uh, you have different levels, and uh, of course, one of them is just the grave. But, but the, to hear the Greeks and their understanding. Of, of Hades, of hell, it, 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 it's horrifying. Uh, and, and Flavius Josephus, who was the son of a temple priest under Judaism, <clears throat> excuse me, and to hear him share what the temple priest others had witnessed and seen, it, it, it's, it, I'm, you talk about disturbing. If anybody reads Hades from the book of Flavius Josephus, a great historian, You'll never again be the same. It is one of the most disturbing uh, things I've ever read in my life about the, the, the angels coming to lay hold to wicked men's souls and spirits and taking them to outer darkness. And it, it's, uh, as I said, I may just take one night and just read that, share that. Uh, it's in my book, in the book of Jude that I wrote. I had it put in there because it's one of the most disturbing passages of literature that's not scripture it's not mythology it, it's what these uh, Judas, Jewish people saw and felt and, and, and understood the death of the wicked and the death of the righteous and, and, and Paul gives a tremendous insight about the righteous in 1 Corinthians 15 you know, he's talking about a, a grain of corn how it's sown in the ground. But that's not what it comes up as. It comes up as a great, strong, and mighty stalk. 
of corn, and then you have the ears, and you have the great leaves. But when you put that seed in the ground, it's not much bigger than your little fingernail. But look at the glory of it. When it died, what it brought forth. Well, that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the resurrection. God give it, give us, gives us a body as it hath pleased him. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 38. It, and, 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 and no man can explain that, you know, other than how simply I tried to explain a small grain of corn or a, 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 a green bean. You put it in the ground and all of a sudden this plant grows up with all this foliage and all these little green beans. But that's, that, it was sown one way, but it came up another way. And that's the mystery of the, the resurrection. So that all of these things are there in the scriptures, and, and, and they're there for our learning. You know, So I want to encourage tonight, the, the, those of you listening, uh, the significance of reading your Bible, of studying your Bible. Uh, Romans 15 and 4 says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So everything that we read in both the Old and New Testaments, these things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. There's no other book like the Bible. There's just nothing in the world that can compare to it and, uh, and I know people talk about what was canonized, what was not canonized. God gave us what he wanted us to have. Uh, and the reason I make that statement is because John, in, John, in John's epistle, he said that if all the things that Jesus had done, John uh, 21, 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, to which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So God allowed to be canonized the, what we call our Bible, and I know it, you know, I'm a King James guy, uh, but the point is, the volumes of books that could have been written, it, it would have been just more, more confusion, more strife, more debating, more argument. So God gave us what he wanted us to have. And he gave, he gave us the beginning, and he gives us the end. He's Alpha, he's Omega, and everything in between. So we have Genesis, and we have the book of Revelation. So we have, we have it all that we need. I mean, think about it. Uh, there's, there's nobody that can thoroughly understand everything in the Scriptures. They're, they're just, you can't exhaust the Scriptures because it is God's Word, and, and God's Word is unfathomable. Uh, Paul talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You could never exhaust them. You could never search them out. They're so vast. And, and, and so it is. So God gave us what he wanted us to have, and we struggle to this day trying to understand it, trying to interpret it, uh, and try to put it together so that it makes uh, what I call common sense. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, the devil is out for three things, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he gave us the Word, and the Word, you know, the Word is an amazing, uh, I don't know how to frame it. It answers all the questions as far as I'm concerned. Uh, maybe I don't understand it, but it answers the questions. Uh, and, you know, you can ask silly questions. Where did God come from? Well, who, who, can, who, can, who can grasp that? You know, uh, God is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end, you know. So there are things there that are far-reaching. 
uh, Job, you know, he said, well, if I can get an audience with God, hey, he'll understand my case. And when God appeared to him, Job said, oh, I think I've said too much. I'll just put my hand over my mouth because I've, 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 I've spoken some things I shouldn't have spoken. Because God said in Job 39, he said, who is this? Who are you to darken my counsel by words without knowledge? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, so he rebuked Job. As much suffering as Job did, God rebuked him. He said, how can you darken my counsel? You know, we've all said, God, why? You know, and, and, and I don't think we say why because we're darkening his counsel. We're slandering his counsel. But, you know, we're just trying to figure out why have you, have you let this happen to me? Why, why am I in this place? Now, that's, that, that's the greatest question everyone has. Why, Lord? People who have lost a husband, they lost a wife, they've lost a son or a daughter, or whatever, an infant. Why? You know, it just don't make sense. Well, you know, a lot of things don't make sense. But down the road, many times it makes all the sense in the world. But while you're going through it, it doesn't make hardly any sense at all. You know, guys, the sermon I preached out there in the Bozeman, uh, Jacob said, all these things are against me. But you see, the truth was, nothing was against him. Nothing. But he thought it was. But God had already sent his son Joseph way down the road before him to become prime minister of Egypt so he could birth and raise and grow a nation on Pharaoh's dime. And then when they got ready to leave, he said, here's the gold, here's the silver, here's the fine linen. That's reparations for your slavery. So, you know, they, they, they probably thought they had all the reason in the world to complain. But God, you know, Jacob says, I can't, he said, everything's against me. But it wasn't. But when you're in the fire, you do feel like it's all against you. So I just want to encourage the people tonight, as we close the program, to, to read your Bible. You'll never find anything that will minister to you and help you than the Word of God. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, how true is that? And uh, You know, I find starting the day out by reading the Bible, at least a passage, one passage, one verse, you know, whatever, uh, really sets the stage for the day. And, and it's 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 enlightening, it's informative, and it's encouraging as well. Amen. You know, Next so. week, now that you guys have got your book, we'll talk about the book. Okay. That sounds yeah, great. Jerusalem Pride. Uh, that way, yeah. maybe some people, I can answer some questions for people that they still don't know yet, but the book, there's over 500 scriptures in the book so it's pretty much chock Amazing. full of the truth and, and it does fill a void pastor I, I, I think it fills a, a very important uh, it very importantly fills a void that people you know have so well, I, hope I, that's I can't the wait purpose. Yeah, that was the Thank purpose you. so well listen everyone have a blessed week and uh, continue to pray for our president I think some of the things that are taking place are intentional uh, but they're making it look like there's uh, chaos but I think it's really a diversion. The arguments between Trump and some of the leadership, I think that's all to make them think wrong. I'm telling you, God is smarter than all of them. And he knows how to do things uh, to accomplish things according to his will. Amen. And, uh, you know, we need to be thankful, too, for every day that we have. Every day is a blessing or Amen. every day is a gift. So, Pastor, thank you so much for your gift of time. Thank you, and, brother. Uh, make God bless, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. I'll see you next week. Everyone right. have a blessed week now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Folks, that'll do it for us. The Hagman Report.
Pastor David Langford, what a, what a man, what a great man, and uh, I, I know you're you're edified by what he by his message tonight, spoken to many, received by many, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, tomorrow nine, uh, I'll be live, and Joe at uh, John two will be live, and then of course our primary show, the Hagman Report at seven Eastern time. So until tomorrow. May God bless each and every one of you. Thank you so much for your belief and your support. Let's work together. Let's let's uh, let's stand behind one another, uplift one another, and let's fight this fight together. May God bless each and every one of you. Good night. <laughs>